Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. And hello, everyone out there. It is draft season. We're only a week out from the NFL draft. We're recording here on a Wednesday night. So this is Blake Murphy, uh, your co-host of the Bird Gang Blitz podcast. I'm here as always with my fellow co-host, John Venerable. John, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Blake. It's great to be here. A mere eight days away from the NFL draft, my favorite time of the off season, all culminating to the fact that we could have a potential new franchise quarterback in a matter of days. Very exciting. Oh yeah. It's the, it's there as a Cardinals fan who's been used to the other side. I usually always go in expecting to be disappointed every year. And I think that just means that every year I somehow end up pleasantly surprised. So perhaps that's the way to do it. Yes. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Uh, I do know one story I had for a former boss that I had. He was so in love with the NFL draft with the time he's working for a big soda company that, um, his boss told him he needed to work during the NFL draft that he requested off. And he literally said, nope, I quit. Walked out the door and left. And that's kind of how the passion wow. that all the draft necks really have. Um, he ended up going on to have a career in football, so it makes a bit more sense. But uh, that's just one of those things. That this is a time that is just you know, the most excited you'll ever be to hear someone read names off of a card. It's just gotten so much bigger with the coverage. And we're going to dig into that tonight. Um, we're going to start off with uh, a little bit different. We originally planned to jump right into a first-round mock draft alternating picks, but uh, we had a uh, Steve Kyman, Steve Wilkes, the Steve's press conference today with some really interesting takeaways. Um, Kym opened up with a statement talking about how there's a lot of misinformation floating around, doesn't really expect the next 20 minutes to be any different. Classical Steve Kyman quip. The Cardinals have finished their primary board. Uh, they'll be finishing up kind of their top 120 board by Friday. But they had a lot of interesting topics talking about moving up, trying to find the struggle of finding a trade partner, and something really interesting about the quarterbacks. Uh, and I can kind of quote where they asked Steve Keim if he had any regrets, specifically when he had not drafted a quarterback in the first three rounds of the past few drafts. He said that it was one of his biggest regrets that he had. He was looking to improve. And that part of the reason why he missed on a quarterback was either the price that had to be paid or the compensation, um, so or just the fact that they had them in the wrong spot on their board. You can think of with Russell Wilson a few years ago, 
You can think of Patrick Mahomes last year. John, this is a really big admission from Kime. What are your thoughts, at least, about how this could affect this year's draft? Is this something where Kime is admitting that he may need to look a little harder for a quarterback that he has in the past? Yeah, I thought the comments were very telling. And what it told me off the top is that it's no secret that this team, outside of you know maybe the New York Jets or the Cleveland Browns, need a franchise quarterback or the Buffalo Bills, but certainly in the NFC, need a franchise quarterback more so than any team, need to acquire a young quarterback. And they've just put it off for so long, everybody is on to them now. And where that hurts them is the fact that they're picking it in the middle of the first round. So it's not like he can be coy about it. When you have, you know, the disservice of, of not having a franchise quarterback, limited free agency market, you're not able to acquire Kirk Cousins or even a Case Keenum. You have to maybe overpay a little bit on Sam Bradford. It's a tell to everybody that, okay, we've got a couple quarterbacks in mind. Theoretically, we like some of the guys in this draft and we know probably four are going to go ahead of us. So we have to move up. And I think it's very telling that, you know, he sits at this press conference, Steve does, no longer with the, you know, kind of safety net that is Bruce Arians. Arians, two-time coach of the year, uh, built a lot of camaraderie in the community, very established head coach. And even when the Cardinals, you know, weren't drafting and developing a young franchise quarterback, you knew Arians and Palmer were going to keep this team competitive, if not, you know, championship caliber. Now Steve's kind of on an island. This is his second coach he's had to hire. Um, the offense is in a total state of rebuild outside of one or two players. Defensively, you're lacking some key depth in the secondary. So I think he's under a lot of pressure. And I think one of the more telling quotes was the fact that he he basically said today that, you know, I, I know I have to potentially surrender draft capital in order to get my guy. And in, in years prior, we've seen and heard Steve say so many times, I'd love to continue moving down and acquiring more picks. I want comp picks. I want X, Y, and Z. Now the tables have turned where he's basically up against a wall and has no other choice but to surrender draft capital, maybe even a player or two in order to jump up and get his quarterback. I think it's, it's one of the rare times where we see Steve a little vulnerable. Uh, I'm anxious to see how he'll, he'll handle it. I think he's going to handle it well. I think he's got a lot of options on the table, hopefully a lot of lifelines in the top 10. But again, it, I thought it was a very telling conference. And Blake, you pointed this out to me off air. Still no mention of Sam Bradford via Steve Kime. In this press conference, in any other media that we've seen since Bradford has been signed, Steve Kime has not commented on it. I thought that was incredibly telling. Yeah, so no, it was incredibly telling, not just the contract they gave Sam Bradford. Some people like poked fun at it, mocked it a little bit, but really they, a quarter of the contract just goes on a game-by-game basis, and a lot of the bonus just gets pushed back to next year. This is basically Kime admitting that they had at a permanent stopgap quarterback that they were signing, bringing in Glennon. They designated him as a backup. And since that press conference, they haven't had any questions like, well, what are you going to do at quarterback? Saying, well, you know, we believe in Sam. But there hasn't been any of that. And it seems like Kime is almost prepping and preparing the uh, preparing the fan base for the attempt at a quarterback. And it doesn't seem like it's going to be a second-round quarterback either. It seems like he's getting ready to make a big move up. And we'll talk a little bit about what some of those options could be. Um, what was also interesting was this was Steve Wilkes' first uh, press conference talking about the NFL draft. He has a kind of big defensive background. He's also brought his staff in. Just some impressive amounts. They had um, filled out almost 5,000 or so, um, just under 5,000 scouting reports on about 2,000 or so different players. <laughs> so 
as someone who's filled out like some scouting reports in the past, it is very tedious because your goal is to nail the player, use the right descriptive words. You have to watch them at least a minimum of three games to at least have enough for a scouting report. Some teams prefer five. It's just this incredible amount of work that's gone in and it all pays off to the point where you get to really kind of see what the differences are between Arians between maybe what some of the things that carry over from his area with Kime and some of the new flavor that Steve Wilkes has. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm just personally just very excited for that one. I'm curious to see what Wilkes has. Um, but let's move on talking a little bit just about the um, some of the players going to be there. We've got a mock draft that's going to be set up. We're going to go through the first round. Uh, we have no trades. <laughs> We're going to basically be trying to focus on if there's a player who a team might trade up for. That will be with the time that we'll talk about them. It's just a little bit uh, easier to just kind of go through and look for team need and fit. Um, I, I usually only do about two mock drafts a year. I do kind of the, what would I would do mock draft. And then I try to do one that guesses just, you know, about a less than a week or so before the draft for accuracy, but I'm excited to get started with some of these picks. So I'll be doing the odds and John will be going over the even the evens. Um, so yeah, uh, you ready to get going on this, John? Yes. I gave Blake the option, not only to decide what Cleveland will do at number one, but the Cardinals at 15, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, so um, I know I had to cross out the uh, punter that I had written in that place after they said that they wouldn't be drafting specialists today in another kind quip that they had. Uh, just kidding, folks. So here's where we'll go. Uh, I'll start off here, and then with the first overall pick in the 2018 draft, I'll select Sam Darnold for the Browns. I get a multiple uh, options between him and Josh Allen. I felt like the Browns are going to go with Darnold all along. This is kind of what's been expected. He's got a strong arm. He's got the mobility and a lot of production for the first two years. I think that he's at the youngest draft prospect. I think it's even the youngest quarterback that's been drafted at just about 20 years old. He's going to be the guy that they'll sit on the bench behind Tyrod Taylor. They've got Drew Stanton there now. I think that he's the best fit probably for the Browns versus taking a flyer on a Josh Allen. Do you have any thoughts on that, John? No, I think you're spot on. I think I think Darnold is the safest pick there. I think that all the hoopla outside of Josh Allen is um, surrounding Josh Allen is is white noise. Great pick. Uh, and with the, the second pick, I've gone back and forth over the last couple of weeks, and I really, really hope that the New York Giants decide to pass on one of the top quarterbacks in this draft. And so I'm going to stick with that based on what I'm hearing. I don't think that's what they should do. I'm going to go Bradley Chubb, defensive end, NC State. I don't buy the um, the Saquon Barkley hype right now at number two. I think this running back class is too deep. You you look at what has fueled the Super Bowl runs, and I know it's a new um, leadership group in New York. What's fueled that Super Bowl run in years prior has been the pass rush and then also the play of Eli Manning. I think it's a mistake to pass on a Josh Rosen or even a Baker Mayfield at this point, but everything that I'm hearing is that Bradley Chubb or uh, Saquon Barkley – will be the pick, and you always go with the defensive end, the dominant defensive end in this situation. Uh, they traded uh, J- uh, JPP this past offseason. He's gone. They're paying too much money to live a Vernon. I could see he, him being a uh, cap casualty next year. Bradley Chubb is somebody that they have a chance to build around that defensive line. They have a lot of needs. This team is rebuilding, uh, and so I think it's a, a safe bet that they go defense with the, with the second overall pick, at least today. Yeah, John, I, I totally agree with you there. If you look at Dave Gettleman's background, he's not a guy who I think is going to draft a uh, draft a, a running back at that high at pick number two. You look at the previous GM, at least with the Panthers, um, you look at how they took D'Angelo Williams high, you look at how they spent a lot of money being able to keep uh, Jonathan Stewart. And then you look after he, that he was let go from the Panthers in 2016, the team goes out and 
um, drafts, um, I believe, um, Oh, I believe that they actually, I was going to say that he did actually, I take that back. He did, I believe draft Christian McCaffrey, at least in the 2017 draft. So he did take a running back high. There was kind of a lot of signs pointing there, but overall it was more of the type of running back that was there. I think is very possible. He could take Barkley, but he's drafted one running back high versus several, either defensive linemen, defensive ends that I think will take the preference and replace Jason Pierre Paul. All right, let's go on to the third overall pick. Uh, this is one that the Jets probably cost a number one pick and three number twos. Um, they were clearly trading up for with the quarterback in mind. And I would take Baker Mayfield as the quarterback there for the Jets and Gangrene. Uh, I think that he fits not just the scheme, but I think he also has the accuracy where it kind of goes counter to the Christian Hackenbergs and the Bryce Petties that they have drafted there. And I think also that it's been not obvious, but it's pretty sure that that was the quarterback that they traded up for in mind. I think that he'll be a great fit in, um, in New York, as long as they can find the best way to protect him. Because I know that sometimes with that great Oklahoma offensive line and the weapons around there, that was when he was most productive. So I'm very curious more to see the rest of the Jets draft to know if Mayfield's going to experience the same level of college success. It's my favorite quarterback in the draft. I would hope that the Cardinals a few months ago may have a shot at him, but I think right now there's not really a chance unless you're willing to trade up to number two. And I really don't see the, the Giants trading down. Yep, I would agree 100%. I think Baker Mayfield's going to be the pick over Josh Rosen unless somehow Sam Darnold falls all the way to pick number three, which I don't think he will. Uh, so again, spot on there. Moving on, this is tough now. Uh, I would assume Cleveland would run to the board if Bradley Chubb were to still be available at pick number four. He is not. Um, and so I'm going to go with the pick. I think that makes the most amount of sense based on where this team is at. I'm going to go Saquon Barkley, fourth overall pick to Cleveland. Um, you know, the, the local product out of Ohio state, yes, they signed, or excuse me, he's from Penn, but they brought in the local product with Carlos Hyde this off season. Uh, but I think the, the pairing of Sam Darnold and Saquon Barkley, I think is too good to pass up, uh, Quentin Nelson to me, they've invested a lot on their offensive line already. You know, Mika Fitzpatrick, is he that much better of a prospect than Barkley? I say no. You know, maybe you could argue like a Roquan Smith that's too rich for this pick for me. So you go with just the best overall player on the board at a position where they don't have a franchise player at running back. Um, you know, it could change based between now and the draft next week. But I'll go Saquon Barkley based on the, the highest player rated in a position of potential need for them. Uh, they let... Um, I don't know what they're going to do with Duke Johnson. Uh, they let Crowell go on free agency. So it's a backfield. I think Hyde signed a one or two year deal. So it's a backfield that absolutely could use a franchise caliber rusher. Yeah. Maybe a guy gets cut there. Uh, I think that if the Browns are in this position and Bradley Chubb is off the board, I think that I would just write it in pen almost that this would be the area that the bills would be trading up for Josh Allen. I think that this would be the Agreed. situation where they would offer the picks. And this is something where I think the Cardinals, I think have been looking heavily. There's a lot of reports that the Cardinals would be looking to potentially trade up for Josh Allen as well. This might be the spot here, but considering the fact that the bills have two first round picks, they've got a plethora of picks in the draft, including some, I know with their trade that they had back with um, uh, back earlier with the, Bengals to move up to the number 12 slot. I just think that this is the spot where they would be looking to move back. Now, if you switch those players with Chubb and Barkley, this is what most fans seem to think that they would go Bradley Chubb and it'd fall down to the Denver Broncos, which is the next pick. Uh, with that pick, the Denver Broncos are going to take a look at the board. And I'm going to go ahead and say that since the Broncos are probably looking at, uh, I just have the gut feeling that they just signed Case Keenum. And I think that with Paxton Lynch being there, I think that they'll try to give him one more year. They've got a new offensive coordinator in there. Uh, if they are going to give up on a first round draft pick after two years, I think that's going to be a really, really terrible sign. I think that they would go Quentin Nelson 
in this pick here. And I think that's because they're going to start looking at for being able to get back to running the football, being able to help give Case Keenum uh, the amount of weapons that he needed to be able to succeed, just like he had in Minnesota last year with their strong run game. So I'll give the Broncos Quentin Nelson, um, knowing that they may be also a team that may be willing to trade back to the Buffalo Bills if things fall a little differently. But I think that he's a guy who's going to be the highest guard drafted in years. He's probably the safest prospect in the draft. And I don't really see them taking another edge player like Marcus Davenport or Harold Landry this high. Yep, totally agree. Uh, I think that the Indianapolis Colts, who are picking sixth, uh, would hope that either Chubb or Nelson would be there. Neither of them are, and now Barkley is gone as well. Uh, So they're in a tough spot. I think this is a great place for them to trade down, and we can almost continue saying this throughout the rest of the top ten. But if Indianapolis stays put with the sixth overall pick, uh, I'm going to go kind of off the beaten path and I'm going to go with a player that is one of the fastest risers in this draft and plays a position in need. I'm going to go with Vita VA, uh, defensive tackle at University of Washington. Uh, you could go a lot of different ways with this pick. Mika Fitzpatrick, but again, they took uh, a free safety uh, last year in the first round. You know, maybe Roquan Smith, but I, Vita VA to me is a top 15, top 10 player. Indianapolis wants to take him at six. That defense is uh, egregious. And you just got to take the highest player on your board at this point. And um, really outside of, you know, offensive line, defensive line is probably their weakest spot. So I'm going to go V to VA, somebody who initially was thought of as maybe a uh, somebody who can go late first to clearly the best defensive tackle in this, this draft class. And somebody I think that could absolutely sneak into the top 10. Yeah, no, he's a, as far as for athleticism, he's a freak. And I think that if you're able to just show some of that technique for that one, I think that he could be a, a three down player. Uh, the concern is kind of if he's going to be another Dan Williams is the biggest concern I think that some have had. I think that he's more than Dan Williams, um, but it's interesting for me, the Colts, I like their need for a, a secondary need would be something I'd look at, but really the team also has a very deep corner and secondary draft that they're looking at. So I, I think that if they're not able to trade down here, which would be their preference for more picks just to rebuild that team. I could see them at least going with a strong defensive lineman. Uh, seventh, the Bucks are basically taking a look, and right now the Bucks have quite a few different needs. You could go with a couple of different players in the secondary. I'll go ahead and get a guy who I think that it's going to be a kind of enforcer on the defense. He's going to be a great player um, for that one. And I think I'm going to go with Denzel Ward out of Ohio State. Uh, he's a guy who, as far as they really do need, like a true number one corner. He'll be able to step in right away and be able to take over. I'd even take him over a Derwin James, considering the safety value in this league. Um, but the hybrid safety linebackers are kind of the new phase. But we've also seen that they've been getting light. There's still no replacement for a guy who could be a number one corner. Yep, I like that pick. I, I considered him six overall in Indianapolis. Uh, um, so moving on, pick eight. Chicago Bears, couple different players, all on the defensive side. Great position for the Bears to be in. Uh, debating between a linebacker and a safety, I am going to go with the highest-rated player on the board right now, Micah Fitzpatrick, safety, Alabama. The Bears have not had quality safety play since that Super Bowl team uh, from 2006. They've had a couple decent linebackers, but again, it's it's time to rebuild the back seven on that unit, and you get a premium player who can be the kind of the field general for your defense. You see a lot of teams now with the hybrid linebacker safeties, you need still one true free safety. And Mika Fitzpatrick can do that. He was a a standout, played as a true freshman with Nick Saban, played meaningful snaps on a national championship team as a freshman. And that should tell you everything that you need to know. Uh, Again, I debated between Fitzpatrick and Roquan Smith, but I think Fitzpatrick to me is the better overall player and uh, that, that free safety position is as valuable as ever in the NFL. 
Yeah, for sure. No, that's a, uh, I think that's a great spot, especially when you look at the, uh, the return of their defensive coordinator with Vic Fangio. I think that he'll have a new defensive weapon to play around with. Uh, the team's in a pretty good spot, at least. I think that right now they've invested a ton of offense building around uh, their young quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. This would be a great spot to go defense and try to beef up the rest of their team to make a, uh, to make a good, promising second-year run with him. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers are next. Now, unless the uh, New England Patriots decide to have the, <laughs> the Niners decide to repay the favor to the Patriots and trade up for a uh, quarterback who seems to be kind of quickly falling down our board, I, I will go with the player who will replace the guy that they just drafted last year. Uh, when you're looking at a potential 11 years in prison, it's usually not a good sign that you'll be playing soon. And with their defense, they still could need another impact linebacker. I'm going to go with Tremaine Edmonds, the linebacker out of Virginia Tech for the San Francisco 49ers. He's a fast riser who seems that he and then another certain linebacker are probably going to end up being top 10 picks. Uh, he seems to be a bit safer as far as for a lot of people, as far as for both pass defense and run defense. I still like Roquan a bit better personally, but he's a guy who I could really see having an instant impact. And even if they do end up getting that first round um, player back that they drafted last year, uh, I just don't see them being able to um, really deny having the two linebackers like a Bowman and a Patrick Willis area. Um, but I think that's probably the best bet for them at the Niners is to continue adding to the defense. I would agree with that, Blake, and I'm going to come right back at pick 10 with the Oakland Raiders and take the individual you just named opposite uh, of Tremaine, and that's Roquan Smith. Uh, I think he's right there, probably better on-field production, but doesn't have the elite measurables like Tremaine does. Tremaine is closer to 6'4", maybe even can play a little bit of hybrid defensive end. Roquan Smith is your stereotypical six foot one elite inside linebacker out of the SEC. The Oakland Raiders do not have enough good defensive players, especially in their front seven. Uh, they are horrendous against the run. And, you know, outside of a couple decent players in their secondary, um, this is a unit that could use a lot of revamping. And so I think they get the, the former Georgia Bulldog at number 10, and they have a chance to have a very, very nice front seven with he and Khalil Mack in 2018. No, definitely. That's uh, adding to the defense, uh, getting a young player amidst all of those aging players that John Gruden seems to be uh, pulling in for the uh, pulling in for the Raiders. Uh, it'll, it'll be fascinating just to watch. I think that's a great pick. I think he's probably my first top linebacker in the draft. I think that I would have taken him over any linebacker last year. Um, even Reuben Foster, when you look at Hassan Reddick, uh, the athleticism and the coverage skills, he was already a ready-made linebacker. Um, it's just also interesting to think about with a lot of Cardinals fans were looking at Reuben Foster for, for a long, long time. He ended up off the board with um, all sorts of concerns. So it's, it's kind of like when you talk about dodging a bullet, it's just knowing that sometimes when you take a guy off your board, there's a definite reason, whether it's injury or whether it's going to be terrible off-field issues. So now we're here and we've got the 11th pick in the NFL draft. This is the Miami Dolphins. And this is kind of where I may throw a bit of a curveball here. The Miami Dolphins, I think, could use an inside linebacker, but Roquan Smith is off the board. Um, perhaps they could use a uh, person who's in the secondary, like a Derwin James, but the guy I'm going to give them is Josh Rosen at quarterback. And it may be kind of a bold move to think that Josh Rosen would go here, but I think that it seems that the Dolphins, they extended Ryan Tannehill. I think that was a safety move. They've been so involved with the quarterback class. I could even see them potentially wanting to trade up if they think that uh, Arizona might or a, a later team perhaps even might move up. So I'll give them Josh Rosen. I think Adam Gase gets a quarterback that he handpicks, and I think that he's going to end up having it where he'll sit on the sit on the bench for a year, develop, maybe come in later. And with the never-quite-healthy-anymore Ryan Tannehill approaching 30, I think that they get their quarterback of the future here. 
Yeah, I think so. I think they're a team to watch. Absolutely. To move up for a franchise quarterback, they are trying to start over with that roster, specifically on the offensive side of the stand of, of the ball with with the trading of Jarvis Landry. Uh, and then you look at a team right behind them, AFC East rival Buffalo Bills, who have the, not only the 12th pick, but the 22nd pick. And again, you know, they need a franchise quarterback. I do not think with what they went through with Tyrod Taylor, they want another mobile quarterback. They want another scrambler. I'm going to eliminate Lamar Jackson. And then this is too rich for Mason Rudolph. So I think that we're going to save the 22nd overall pick, assuming there's still quarterback available. And the Buffalo Bills are going to go BPA. They're going to go Derwin James, safety out of Florida State. I think this is a this is a team that could be picking in the top five next year based on how many needs that they're going to have. This is a team that uh, sent their f- – uh, franchise left tackle to the Cincinnati Bengals, which enabled them to have multiple first round picks. And then to be able to move up this high, they traded back in the first round last year. They've just been stockpiling for, so they're awaiting this opportunity. So again, Derwin James is just the BPA right now, and they don't have a standout safety in my mind, but this is a team that's going to be incredibly active up and down throughout the draft. And I think that they're just looking for quality players to rebuild. And I think that they're assuming that, okay, we're going to get a young franchise quarterback by the time all of our guys begin to gel together. Hopefully, fingers crossed, the Patriot dynasty is over. So I'm going to go Derwin James, who I think is is right, right there with Mika Fitzpatrick, is, is one of the best safeties, if not the best safety in this class. You When this draft process started, and when you started hearing names trickle out of, of guys who could you know spring to the top of the draft, uh, even last October, November, he was somebody that got a lot of buzz. And for whatever reason, because Florida State underperformed this year, um, for whatever reason, he is not getting the same pub as some of these other guys. Still a quality player, still a top 15 player, goes to Buffalo at number 12. Oh, for sure. I can see that if the, if the Bills, I think, are in a situation where they can't get a quarterback, and for me, for the life of me, I can't see why this would be kind of a spot where you can see maybe the Colts or the Broncos or the Browns could pick. I think that if a guy like Derwin fell this far, they would be ecstatic over that as well, just to be able to trade back and still get a guy who's an elite player in this draft. And next, we'll move on to the 13th pick in the NFL draft and the Washington Redskins. Uh, The Redskins are a team that I think could very well trade back in this draft if a team wants to move up for a quarterback who's still there on the board. There are teams potentially looking at Lamar Jackson that we hear about. I don't know if they'd be willing to trade up, but uh, if the Arizona Cardinals end up in a situation similar to 2017, perhaps that will end up being the case where they'll... um, end up, unfortunately, um, seeing a team want to move up if they believe that Arizona will take a quarterback similar to Deshaun Watson and the Texans last year. Uh, personally, I believe that the Skins will stay put at this pick uh, just because I think that they'll want to add to uh, either a defensive piece or try to add a few more offensive weapons around Alex Smith, especially considering the fact that they traded one of their starting cornerbacks to the Chiefs for Alex Smith. Um, so the player I have going here is Maurice Hurst, the defensive lineman out of Michigan. Uh, he had some heart problems at the Combine. The biggest thing that came back, at least from that, was that he really didn't need any medical rechecks, no other red flags. So it wasn't even as serious as a Star Latulale situation when he was coming out. I think that he's probably the best three technique pass rusher in the draft. 
Uh, he could also play defensive end for a 3-4 scheme as a 5-tech if needed to as well. I just think that he's a fantastic player. Uh, he'd be a guy that I would not mind the Cardinals taking if you believe that his upside would be able to either pair with Kimdichi or pair with Pierre Olsen. Uh, but he goes off the board here. That's who I have them taking at 13. Um, originally I had the Bengals picking here at least for some reason I think I had been sticking with the uh, old mock draft before they had actually traded up and I had them taking Marcus Davenport here Uh, I I believe it was with the Bengals um, versus a cornerback which the Bengals always seem to have a need for but that's be the skins pick I'll go 14 Green Bay Packers I will go again another um, another addition on the offensive line I will go with Connor Williams Offensive tackle, Texas. The the Green Bay Packers have let too many quality offensive linemen, specifically on the inside, hit free agency. And this is a team that lost their franchise quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, for a significant amount of time last year and then uh, two or three years back. And so as much as this roster could use a complete overhaul on the defensive side, and I do think their new defensive coordinator will, will help in that regard, Uh, I think that the better they can be up front to eventually give Aaron Rodgers a running game would be huge. Connor Williams to me was a top 10, maybe a top five prospect before he got injured, assuming he can come back all the way. He can play left tackle. He can play right tackle. He can play left guard. Um, He is a monster. I think he's six, 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 seven, somebody who you want protecting your franchise quarterback, the best quarterback in the NFL for the rest of his career. Uh, A lot of different ways you could go. I think Vita VA would be a great pick if he were here. Uh, you know, consider somebody like Josh Jackson. Uh, but again, I'll go the safe route, the Packer route, and go offensive line and pick 14. Yeah, it's interesting with the Packers because they haven't spent a lot of high premium picks on uh, on offensive tackles, but I could see them doing it this year, honestly. Uh, it's interesting that you've got Connor Williams over Mike McGlinchey, especially because I think I agree with you that Williams reminds me a bit of Jared Valdir, where some people had looked at if he would move to guard or maybe they just lined him in as a right tackle. I think that he's a bit better than that, so it'd be interesting to see if NFL teams go along. Well, we're at pick number 15. The Arizona Cardinals are on the clock. What will they do? We'll find out here after this quick break. Connect with others who work for themselves. Connect with like minds, new ideas, and fellow creators. Connect with innovators, industry experts, mentors, and potential partners. Connect with risk takers. Connect with opportunity and new possibilities. Connect with your inner leader, explorer, or inventor. Connect with what your business needs to succeed at QuickBooks Connect. Join us November 6th at the San Jose Convention Center. QuickBooks Connect, backing your path to success. Register now at QuickBooksConnect.com. And we're back on the Bird Game Blitz with the Arizona Cardinals pick. So there's a couple of different things that the Cardinals could do here. I mean, the biggest thing if you're looking for their needs is cornerback. You've got a Jair Alexander still on the board. Josh Jackson's a guy who might fit their scheme. The first wide receiver, DJ Moore, hasn't been taken. Um, but I think the easiest answer here is that the quarterback who fell into their laps is Lamar Jackson. And I think that's the guy who, if he's here, should be the pick for the Arizona Cardinals come draft night. Um, everything seems to fit and line up with Mike McCoy being flexible. Wilkes already knows how Cam Newton has been able to move. And you're looking at getting a guy who probably could be an argument for a top five pick uh, overall, just with the pure talent he has. Um, so this is the guy I'm taking is Lamar Jackson over the other needs at wide receiver and corner. I like it, Blake. We can just stop the mock draft right here after if <laughs> Lamar Jackson goes to, to goes to the Arizona Cardinals. I think that'll make the majority of the fan base incredibly happy. 
but for the sake of moving on, uh, pick 16 belongs to the Baltimore Ravens. I'm going to go Harold Landry, outside linebacker, Boston College. The Ravens have been searching for an heir apparent for Terrell Suggs for far too long. They've been searching for an heir apparent to Elvis Dumerville for far too long, and they finally are able to get some young blood at pass rusher. Uh, They've taken so many, so many players at this position to try to groom under those two individuals and just have struck out left and right. Yes, they have needs at receiver. They've got some needs on the offensive line. Um, They could even take another quarterback at some point. But I think Harold Landry, to me, is one of the fastest risers in this draft based on the fact that pass rusher is one of the most important positions. I think he could go into the top 10. I've heard him connected to the San Francisco 49ers, to the Oakland Raiders. I'm going to go 16, Harold Landry, Boston College. Oh, man, I love that pick. Landry's one of those guys who uh, he's a pure pass rusher, maybe one of the most explosive in the draft. I think he's a better overall pass rusher than Chubb, even if Chubb is stronger against the run. Uh, He's a guy who I wouldn't mind the Cardinals taking if all the quarterbacks are off the board at 15. And it'll be interesting to see if a team will trade up ahead of the Cardinals. I think there's a chance that their team might. I think that there's chance that they might not. But let's say if the Cardinals are off the board, Harold Landry would probably be my pick. And I know we had Seth Cox on the show uh, about two weeks ago. He loves Harold Landry too. And the reason's pretty simple. If you look at how the Cardinals with their linebackers have uh, brought in a kind of a guy to replace the guy who leaves and departs in a year with Gimdichi. And you look at last year with Reddick taking over for Dansby. If you're going to let Marcus Golden walk next year, or if he just has not recovered from his ACL, that would be another pick the Cardinals could consider over here if he's there at 15. But the Ravens get a great defensive player, and I think that's a solid pick for them. Uh, let me just go on to the number 17 pick, which I believe is the San Diego Chargers. And the Chargers, I, I think this is a spot where they need to add to their offense. They need to add to their offensive line. Uh, they probably would prefer a tackle here. Originally, I had looked at a, a, a lineman like Will Hernandez or Isaiah Wynn, but with Mike McGlinchey still on the board, I'm going to go ahead and slide him in. He'll be able to take over at least for their uh, tackles and then give a pretty dominant uh, offensive line now that they've added the, um, I believe it's uh, Maurice Pouncey at least as a, a center. So it's, it's going to be at least nice to have that Phillip Rivers. I think that you go all in on protecting your quarterback the older they get. McGlinchey's maybe the best tackle in the draft, uh, maybe not the most diverse like a guy like Connor Williams will be, but I think he'll be a solid pick for the Chargers of here. Yeah, I like it. I think that they're going to go for a Super Bowl window that's closing, and so they need to sell out on the offensive line. That's a smart move. Uh, 18, our old friends, the Seattle Seahawks. I truly believe that the Seahawks want to return to their smash-mouth offensive ways, a la beast mode. And I'm going to go with a player that I think should be in consideration for a top 15 grade, Darius Geis, running back LSU. I think that he is right there with Saquon Barkley in terms of running the football, I think is a superior runner in between the tackles. This is a team, the Seahawks that have been searching for uh, a franchise running back since Lynch left for several years and have churned out a couple guys, even somebody like an Alex Collins, who's gone on to have, you know, a nice season with Baltimore. They've just struck out left and right. And I think they're at the point now where they're, they're thinking to themselves, Russell Wilson's going to get hurt. We've invested a little bit on the offensive line, a little bit in free agency. We think we can rebuild the defense in later rounds. We like our receivers, but we don't have that franchise caliber runner. Guys, to me, is a big-time prospect, overshadowed by Leonard Fournette, uh, came in as, a, I think, a, a redshirt freshman and just set the world on fire in the ever-competitive SEC, somebody who I fully expect to go in the first round. It just depends on where. And I think when you look at a team like Detroit at 20, if you want him, you know that he could potentially 
go there. I think they would be ecstatic to add somebody of the caliber of Darius guys. So he's pick 18 to the Seattle. Man, that's a uh, that's a very classic Seattle pick, I think, right there. Uh, let's go on with the Dallas Cowboys, and the Cowboys are in a spot where they just recently cut Des Bryant. They needed wide receiver help all last year, and they're ecstatic that DJ Moore is still on the board. If you can look at how Bryce Butler tortured the Cardinals last year off of the deep throws from Dak, uh, DJ Moore can do that all the time. He's similar to Steve Smith. He still needs some route work as far as being able to get that, but he is just a physical and athletic freak uh, for his size. He tested into, I believe, was the 98th athletic percentile. And of course, according to the latest reports, he has now passed up Calvin Ridley as the number one wide receiver in the draft for the Lord's boards, uh, which is a long time coming, but it's good to see the Cowboys get instant help and uh, try to see if they can basically make the most of their offense with Ezekiel Elliott returning for the entire season. That now has his number one and his number two on offense. Yeah, I like it. I think that you could go a lot of different ways with Dallas at 19 because they think they're a team that has a chance to compete for a Super Bowl. But that receiving corp is brutal, especially with Dez out of the fold. Uh, moving on to pick 20, the Detroit Lions, I think, with Ziggy Anse potentially in his last season with the Detroit Lions and nobody on the other side. I'm going to go Marcus Davenport, defensive end, UT San Antonio, uh, somebody who is a little bit under the radar until he dominated the senior bowl. Uh, great explosiveness, somebody who projects well uh, at the next w- level based on his attributes. Similar case to Ziggy Anse, where he didn't have the monster college production, but again, just measurables and intangibles pan out very well at the next level. Uh, somebody who's incredible off the line of scrimmage. And I think that in a division right now with, let's face it, Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers, when the Minnesota Vikings have gotten better at quarterback, you need to be able to rush the passer. I think that they are pretty loaded. The Detroit Lions are on the offensive side of the, the ball, specifically you know, in the passing game. I think they could add a running back later. Um, but again, the defense has to be a priority. Matt Patricia is going to come in and want to revamp that side of the football. Um, and so again, I think pairing Davenport with Zeyance, at least for one season, is a match made in heaven. So I'll go Davenport to the And for those of you who are a little bit confused as to where Jack Moore went twice, uh, that's not my fault. The guy who I had slotted in for number 13 for the Redskins was Maurice Hurst. Um, so that was kind of where when I described a lot of that, I was leading off of what my Bengals pick was going to be since they traded back. So now that he's taken my Bengals pick, I'm going to go ahead and uh, take a look at the next player who I'll take in this draft, which would be Jair Alexander. I think that with the uh, Davenport gone and off the board, I think that they'll take a look at the corner position. Uh, they need a guy who's going to be another tough physical player. William Jackson, I know at least, is, um, he's at least been I believe, coming back, but they could use another guy to pair with him. I would at least take a look at Jair there just because of the sheer value. I think that he's probably a top 15 player in this draft. Uh, he might be the number one corner in this draft as well. Some people even have him over Denzel Ward. I'd go with Jair Alexander at pick number 21. So here they are, the Buffalo Bills at pick 22. Kind of the forgotten man. Didn't mention this guy earlier, and I think that he has an opportunity to go from picks two to potentially 22, Josh Allen. Buffalo Bills, pick 22, uh, rolled the dice, assumed he'd still be there after taking Derwin James earlier. Uh, But again, Josh Allen, sub-57 completion every year at Wyoming, somebody who has the best arm in the draft, probably the best arm we've seen since Matthew Stafford, since Jamarcus Russell, but again, did not dominate the low level of competition that he faced. Somebody who is going to need a great amount of seasoning 
And, and if he goes to Buffalo, he is absolutely going to be expected to play right away. AJ McCarron to me is not the answer. I think, I think Josh Allen would be well-served going to somebody, you know, let's say, you know, like, like a Jacksonville who has a Super Bowl ready team that could mold him like a Pittsburgh. But I think Buffalo is in a position now, Blake, where they're going to end up with either a Rosen an Allen, maybe a Mayfield, somebody who they can sub in to that franchise quarterback position day one and expect this individual to be the starter. And, you know, he checks all the boxes off the field. He checks all the boxes in terms of, you know, what he brings from a physical standpoint and to be able to hold up in the frigid AFC East, he's the prototype, but is he going to be able to complete the number of passes you need to win at this level? I don't know. We haven't seen it done. He's compared to Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco lit the world on fire uh, at Delaware. And I get that was a, a level below where um, Josh Allen played. But again, I just think that right now he'd be best served sitting. But you know, if he goes to Buffalo, he's going to play day one. He's going to be thrown into the fire. And uh, I'm rooting for him because he's, he's a great kid off the field. But again, the um, history does not, does not bode well to individuals who can't complete 60% uh, in college. Doesn't bode well at all. No, no, it doesn't. Um, this is about the range where I think I honestly would take Josh Allen. Uh, I think that he's closer to a second round prospect, even with the physical attributes, the poor production. You still are in an area where you could at least just go ahead and take a take a chance on him in the first round, get that fifth year option. So if you need to sit him down, I do think that Josh Allen is going to end up a bill. I think that that's the guy that the Bills identified as last year when they bailed out of the first round, let Mahomes go to the Chiefs. I think they're going to do whatever it takes to be able to move up, whether it's to number two, whether it's to move up to number four, and as long as the Jets don't take Allen at three in some kind of shocking move, I, I do believe that he is going to be a Buffalo Bill. Uh, next coming up, we have the New England Patriots. And the Patriots are in kind of an interesting spot where they have uh, kind of a number of needs that are there. One of the biggest ones is quarterback. Um, they're not really in a spot, at least I think, to draft one in this area. Uh, but one guy who I think they're going to at least have Bill is going to love is Taven Bryan out of Florida, a super athlete who um, was just moved the pile. I think that he's going to take a look and recognize that he's a pass rusher. They did not have a pass rush last year. Adding him as a defensive lineman in Bill's scheme, I think is going to be a tremendous uh, addition to the New England Patriots. And I think that they still will look at a quarterback, but I think it's going to be more taking value with this first pick. Yeah, I like the pick a lot, Blake. Um, and I think that New England, in my opinion, everybody is all over the fact that they're, you know, could potentially find Tom Brady's heir apparent. I think they're going to take a quarterback. I don't see them packaging picks to do that. I think Brady's going to play next year. And I think it's ludicrous to, to, sink that, to think that they're going to sink their whole draft into finding one quarterback in the top 10. Uh, it takes a lot to get up. Let's say we've heard what it takes to get up from 15 to like, you know, two, three, four, five. You know, imagine what New England would have to give up to, to move from, you know, pick 23. I know they have to give up pick 31, but, and then some, I don't, I don't see Belichick doing that. I think he just uses one of his lone picks to find a quarterback. And I don't think he does it uh, with pick 23, pick 24 belongs to the Carolina Panthers. And to me, they could go a lot of different ways. This is a team that made the playoffs a year ago, uh, used a high pick on a running back. I think they'll want to strengthen their offensive line. I think they want to replace Andrew Norwell who left as a free agent at the guard position, uh, a couple different players I think could be in play here, Will Hernandez, but I'm going to go Isaiah Wynn. I think he's a plug and play starter. I think he's ready to play at a higher level of competition, played at the university of Georgia. He is an exceptional pass protector and ex incredibly sound in his run game, uh, blocked for, 
or multiple thousand yard rushers at the University of Georgia. Again, Will Hernandez would have been under serious consideration. He's an absolute monster, but you know, I prefer Isaiah Wynn to this spot with what Carolina Panthers want to do, specifically replacing Norwell, who was so exceptional uh, in the passing game, in pass protection. Uh, I'm going to go with the former Georgia Bulldog at pick number 24. Oh yeah, moves right up the road to a new state. And gosh, I really like this pick a lot because if you look at what the Panthers did, they probably took a dominant player who left and replaced him with a guy on a much cheaper contract. That would be just a awesome move, I think, for them to be able to do. Um, yeah, I, I would love that pick. I think Wynn is a guy who could even play some left or right tackle if need be, um, but he's going to be probably have his best fit at a guard. Uh, let's go into the Tennessee Titans, kind of the surprise playoff team from last year. And they had a lot of points put up in them by the New England Patriots. They need some help on defense. And they get a guy who some are thinking may potentially go in the top 15, so a, perhaps a bit of a steal here. And Leighton Vander Esch, a very, very talented and athletic linebacker. I think he's a guy who you can play inside and maybe even move him a little bit to outside linebacker in a 4-3 scheme. But he's a guy who I think the Titans will just run up to the podium and snatch. Um, tremendously talented linebacker. Uh, I think that they're going to basically recognize that now that they've had a full year with a new offensive coordinator from Ariota, bringing some wide receivers back, I think that they'll go defense with a defensive-minded head coach and Mike Frabel. Yep, I like the pick a lot. I think that this is where we're going to see a run on potential uh, quality defensive players in the 20s with so many you know, quarterbacks and offensive players going in the top 20. Uh, and speaking of defensive players that I like a lot, uh, Atlanta Falcons at pick number 26. Uh, they could go a lot of different ways in an effort to strengthen their chances to run to another Super Bowl. They could look at maybe the top-rated tight end. They could look at the offensive line. Uh, I think that they're going to go cornerback. I think that Mike Hughes out of UCF is incredibly polished, capable of playing cover man, uh, and played on an unbeaten team uh, for the UFC UCF Knights uh, and somebody who is uh, an option to play in press man, can play the slot, can play on the outside, tough, physical. Uh, you look at the base of what that Falcons defense is coming from that Seattle mantra where they use multiple corners, uh, multiple levels of their defense. And I think that this is this is a kind of almost a cherry on top of what they've been building defensively with the Dayon Joneses and, uh, of the world um, that they should be a top five, top seven defense next year. So I'm going to go Mike Hughes, cornerback UCF, the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I like that pick a lot. Um, he's a guy who I know the biggest thing about him has just been people have been concerned about his off field uh, just because they've been in a spot with uh, he had some off field issues. Some people wonder if that will sink him out of the first round, but the talent wise otherwise is high enough that I could see him still coming in here as long as the team goes through. I could see him being a guy who um, could end up being a maybe potential steal if he can keep his head on straight and stay onto the field. All right, so let's move on over here to the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints are in kind of an interesting spot because their needs on offense, their needs on defense are kind of a little bit different for some people. On offense, they basically have a pretty locked down line. If you take a look at Larry Warford's addition, I looked at potentially, uh, potentially giving them Will Hernandez here. Um, but instead, what I'm going to end up doing at least is I'm going to give them a guy who is kind of a um, – he's a sleeper for me in Deron Payne out of Alabama – I think that he's a very, very high floor, uh, maybe even a high ceiling type player. He's adds to their defensive line. That was kind of the biggest thing that you could see with them last year in the NFC Championship game was that uh, they were able to kind of stop the offense overall with Case Keenum, but ultimately they weren't able to get pressure on him when it counts. 
I think that getting a guy like um, Deron Payne over trying to bring in a guard um, with the line that they have and the running backs that the Saints have, uh, I think that they'll go for that. And I think that they'll probably put off the quarterback decision another year, similar to how the Cardinals did. I don't see them taking quarterback here. Perhaps I know that they uh, – I'm Sean Payton's even gone on record saying how much he loves Lamar Jackson. Uh, perhaps they could try to make a move ahead of the Cardinals. But he also cautioned about looking at the top five guys. So maybe if the only guy that he'd have is Lamar, there's not room for a trade-up. I think that he'll basically go to boost up the defense and try to give Drew Brees a, a bit better, uh, a bit better guy who can, you know, get after that passer and actually you know, bring down Case Keenum on that last play. Yeah, I think the the talk of New Orleans with a quarterback is kind of ludicrous. If you're trying to extend Drew Brees' window of winning a championship, listen, he just took less money. That's a team that's ready to win now and to waste a first round pick on a quarterback. That's essentially a project. I think. I think they're going to look at that position when Breeze is ready to retire. I think that they're going to find somebody who they can play as a rookie, and you're seeing that be more and more the case every year. Uh, pick number 28 belongs to the Pittsburgh Steelers. A lot of different ways you could go here, but really the pick that makes too much sense to me, and you hate to do this with the loss of Ryan Chazier, Rasheen Evans, inside linebacker, Alabama, would be the pick for me. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of reaching for a need. But again, this is a team that is struggling right now at the inside linebacker position. Lawrence Timmons is long gone. They've signed a couple veteran free agents, but they need a young inside linebacker now to groom, assuming Shazier does not play again. Evans was a multi-year start at Alabama, captain, somebody who you could hang your hat on, somebody who I could see coming in, having 100 tackles his first season, no problem. Uh, and that defense for Pittsburgh got run over by Leonard Fournette and the Jacksonville Jaguars in the divisional round. You look at how great they are offensively. This is, a, this is a draft for Pittsburgh that needs to be heavy on the defensive side, go back to their original roots if they want to win uh, another Super Bowl title. Evans, to me, again, might be a little bit of a reach here, but for the Pittsburgh Steelers, you just got to find guys who can play this year now for you, a team that thinks of themselves as a Super Bowl contender. Matt, yeah, I really like the Rashawn Evans pick. Uh, I think Evans is a really solid underrated guy. He might be a guy who goes later in uh, the first, maybe even early second, and ends up outplaying a lot of the other guys who are um, drafted ahead of him. Let's go on and talk now with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who uh, I think if you could take a look, the biggest weakness that they have might be a quarterback. Uh, Blake Bortles is basically on his uh, fifth, fifth year starter as an option. The problem, at least, that they have with the Jaguars, they don't have a quarterback behind him. Uh, I do think that this is an area where I would heavily consider and will take Mason Rudolph uh, because I think that he's the guy who, if you bring him in, you've got Bortles for a year and you can even bring in Rudolph in camp. And I think that the Patriots might be looking heavily at Rudolph, even at this next upcoming pick uh, if he didn't go. But I think that the Jaguars, their biggest need, the biggest thing I think that held them back last year was the quarterback position of a guy who's able to complete third downs, make smart plays, and run with the football. That's very much what Mason Rudolph does, except Rudolph is much more efficient on third down as some of the, the stats would indicate. And they have the talents, I think, in Jacksonville to be able to at the uh, to be able to kind of sustain that with Leonard Fournette. I like that pick a lot. I think that's that's an individual who Blake, you and I like a lot more and more as this draft process has gone on. Indeed. Somebody that is a would be a great consolation prize for the Arizona Cardinals, if for whatever reason there's a run on quarterbacks early, if they, you know, God forbid, decide to pass on Lamar Jackson at pick 15, if you're able to get a quality, maybe offensive lineman at pick 15 and can weasel your way back into the first round and grab Mason Rudolph, I think that's as good maybe as getting Lamar Jackson to a lot of fans. Um, get like a James Daniel, Will Hernandez, somebody great, a plug-and-play player 
at 15, coming back and getting Mason Rudolph later in the first, jumping like a team like Pittsburgh or Jacksonville where he could go. Um, again, I think he's got a chance to be a, a solid player in the NFL. Uh, pick number 30, Super Bowl or bust season, I think, for the Minnesota Vikings. And I think they're going to do everything they can with Cousins in the fold now, three-year contract. They've loaded up that contract. They've got a lot of guys who are going to be free agents. Um, I think that they're going to look at solidifying that defense, loading up that defense for a stretch run at the Super Bowl that was embarrassed in the NFC Championship game by the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to go Maurice Hurst, defensive tackle, Michigan. Very much blue collar, fits what they do. At the end of the day, the game is won up front on the line of scrimmage. They have quality, quality players in their front seven. Uh, Everson Griffin is a tremendous player, but they do they really have that standout defensive tackle? You could argue a couple guys they've taken the past couple years haven't panned out. Maurice Hurst, to me, is a guy who was bred under Jim Harbaugh, recruited by Jim Harbaugh, somebody who could come in for that defense and be a impact player. I think you're one, uh, and you, with a lot of these defensive linemen going in the 20s, there's not a great guarantee you're going to be able to get one if you're Minnesota in the second round, I think they just go BPA on the defensive side. Maurice Hurts to me is, is somebody I'm incredibly high on. Would love to see the Cardinals have a chance on him in round two, but here he goes to Minnesota at pick 30. I just took a look at the list for that one. And uh, this is why it was confusing. I actually took Maurice Hurst at 13. It was retrospect active done because that was where I read off the Bengals pick. So the Bengals I had written down that they had taken, um, yeah, sorry, this is sorry folks, this is a little technical difficulty here. But yeah, so Maurice Hurst actually did go at 13 to the Redskins. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna flip that real fast. <laughs> and we're gonna go with Harrison Phillips, another defensive tackle from Stanford. There we are. I like Okay. Harrison. So so sub that in and forget our error because thankfully this is not live and um, this is not the actual draft. But I'll go Harrison Phillips, another quality player from the pack from the pack ten, from the pack twelve. Uh, at defensive line, Stanford, and uh, again, helping Minnesota for their Super Bowl or bust quest of 2018, like a lot of teams. Yeah, no, I think he's a guy who you don't think of him as a first round pick. I think that he's going to be a top 40 player, potentially. Stanford defensive linemen tend to do very well in the NFL, even if they don't fill out the athletic profile. There's just a quality and a standard that they have that is just really, really well done. All right, I'm going to go ahead and select for the New England Patriots. And I think they would have been potentially looking at a Mason Rudolph here. I think it's still way too high to be able to take um, the next ranked quarterback that I'd have in Kyle Laletta. Perhaps they would see a little bit of Garoppolo in him. I don't. The guy who I'm going to give the Patriots is a guy who's fallen away down, which is Will Hernandez as a guard. Uh, they seem to be kind of set for the most part with their guards and Joe Thune and with Shaq Mason. But I think that having Hernandez, if he beats out the guys in camp, he's able to give Tom Brady a run game. And I don't see another running back. The, the running back who I think they might take sneakily could be Sony Michelle here. Uh, that was the guy I've been really tempted to give them. But I, I just don't think that Michelle is a guy who's worthy of a first-round pick personally. I, I do actually like Nick Chubb out of Georgia a bit better. But I think Will Hernandez is just great value to get end of the first round. You might be getting the, uh, the highest-ranked guard in the class potentially for some is here right now for uh, – excuse me, the second-highest-ranked guard outside of Quentin Nelson – uh, for the New England Patriots, end of the first, another Bill Belichick special. I like that pick. Debated on giving him to multiple teams. I think the only thing that's going to hurt him is the level of competition. But you saw what he did at the Senior Bowl. You put on the tape. He is an absolute monster. Mm -hmm. He's going to have a long, prosperous NFL career. Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl champs, uh, pick number 32, 
have, has an opportunity here to kind of solidify themselves as the darling of the NFL, just an embarrassment of riches. Uh, they have a lot of really, really standout players on this team. And I think they're in a position now they can go BPA. Um, and I think this young man probably has been overlooked to a fault because of the position he plays, the university he went to. I'll give Philadelphia Calvin Ridley here just based on his pedigree and on the fact that they could, they could be probably the scariest offense with him in the fold, not asking him to be the Julio Jones, which he's not going to be, but maybe the Brandon cooks of that team where he has a chance to take the top off the defense. You see what they have with their underneath receivers, like an Alshon Jeffrey, but you give him the speed pairing with the, with the arm of Carson Wentz and that's a team that's going to keep humming along, assuming everybody is healthy. This is a point where you just got to look at the board and say, Ridley, to me, is a top 20, 25 player, if not better. Uh, I think that he was hurt by poor quarterback play at the University of Alabama scheme. Uh, oftentimes, I'd see him running wide open. He'd either be underthrown or ignored altogether. I think he's absolutely somebody who's going to have a better NFL career than college career. And he is a complete burner and a, and a difference maker. He's slight. But again, you're not asking him to be your your number one receiver. To me, he, he looks a lot like like a Marvin Harrison, uh, like somebody who can come in and be a refined route runner and then break away and, and burst off a 60-yard go route. So I'll give the Philadelphia Eagles Calvin Ridley. I think that's a, that's a Howie Roseman type of splash move to end the first day of the first round. Yeah, especially when you think about it, I believe it was Torrey Smith, I believe, had been um, traded from the team, too. So having to have a, another deep threat and a small guy to go along with um, the uh, kind of resurgent um, the player that they just had out of USC, Nelson Aguilar. Uh, between those two running around and having that embarrassment of riches with Alshon Jeffrey, that, oh my goodness, that would just be a scary offense. Uh, question is, is it going to be Carson Wentz helming that offense, or is it going to be Nick Foles, the Super Bowl champion Nick Foles, I should say? Well, that'll about wrap it up. Um, let's take a look at some of the players who maybe were left out of the first round um i'll just go and name one or two i thought was interesting I, we didn't have our center my uh, billy price wasn't taken i think he is a guy who after getting injured at the combine maybe has fallen down a few draft boards josh jackson the cornerback i could see arizona liking him as far as wilk scheme and then no tight ends went in the first round dallas godair is a guy who is a very super athletic very highly productive guy it's been kind of injured throughout the process. Uh, maybe Mike Gesicki's kind of snuck up a little bit on him, but those are kind of the guys who stood out to me as highlights. John, is there anyone that you can think of who didn't go in the first round for that? That might be a, a steal maybe who's fallen into the second that the Cardinals could take a look at. It's tough with any of the receivers to know where these teams have them ranked, but somebody like Christian Kirk, I think could be somebody who I could see going in the twenties wide receiver out of Texas A&M, but you've seen, mm-hmm how poor these these receiver classes have done in the past couple of years. I could see teams waiting on that position. Uh, another guy that you know I personally like, you just mentioned Billy Price, who I think would be a great addition to the Arizona Cardinals, James Daniels, tremendous, tremendous um, center for the University of Iowa, Big Ten product, uh, multi-year starter. Uh, Brandon Smith, Braden Smith, monster guard from the University of Auburn, I think could be a, a first-round pick. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, Cortland Sutton, wide receiver SMU, probably has the best tape of any receiver in this draft. But again, level of competition. Um, I thought his combine was excellent. A lot of different guys I think you could, you know, mix and salt and pepper into. I, I don't think there's a big difference between in this draft, once you get out of the blue chippers and the quarterbacks, 
pick Limber, you know, 20 to 40. I think a lot of these guys are going to kind of merge together and then it's going to be preference. It's going to be scheme. It's going to be who's fallen up until a certain point. But, you know, you heard guys like Arden Key early on in the draft process, hailed as a, as a top 10 prospect. And now he's mentioned in the late second, early third uh, outside linebacker at LSU. So really it's a, it's a team's preference. It's what you're hearing from scouts, but uh, you mentioned Sony Michelle. I think that a lot of people are going to look at Alvin Kamara's impact last year and, and maybe reach for him. But I would agree with you, Blake. I like Nick Chubb as a better pure runner and think Chubb could go on the first before Michelle. Yeah, Chubb was uh, what's crazy about Chubb. He's like, I actually even had a very controversial tweet that I sent out where after his injury, I said that I thought that he was maybe the most talented Georgia running back that I'd ever seen play the game. And everyone immediately jumped in my mention and was like, well, um, you do know of the uh, another certain talented running back who went there by oh shoot now I can't even now I can't even remember my own take uh, I believe it was Todd Gurley no it wasn't even Todd Gurley that was the one that was one from years ago at least um, no Sean yeah no it wasn't even no Sean for that one we're talking about older we're talking about oh, okay oh, okay we're talking like all time for that Herschel Walker is the guy that's who yeah it was. Was okay like, no so I watched Herschel Walker film for a lot of that as far as just catching up on the player because after I made that take I was like. Okay, I remember the Herschel Walkers. I watched the two. I still think that Chubb is a better fit for the current NFL. Walker may have been more of a physical beast as far as just outrunning and killing everyone, but I think that Chubb is a smart player. So I still stand by my take at least, um, even though a lot of people got at me on Twitter for that one. But I just think that's just a testament to how good of a player Nick Chubb is. All right, we're going to take a small break here on the Bird Gang Blitz. Um, Coming back, we're going to keep with the Cardinals focus. We're going to take a look at what players could they look at through the rest of the rounds. We've got a couple of these seven-round mock drafts. We'll take a look at some of the players the Cardinals uh, are potentially looking at. We'll take a look at who we would look at for the team. And we'll then kind of wrap up tonight with talking about these quarterbacks. Will this be the draft that helps define Arizona's future at the position? It's all coming up here next on the Bird Gang Blitz. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Welcome back into the Bird Gang Blitz. So, John, uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the rest of the Cardinals picks. Uh, Right now, we've already had Lamar Jackson's been the first quarterback we've given off of the board kind of in our mock draft. I think that we're both in agreement that that's how the board falls. Let's take a look. We both went to, uh, if you have never been to Fanspeak, they do an excellent job as far as being able to have multiple options for different situations, how the draft will fall using different mock drafts, different boards, Uh, even have a paid option where you can work in trades. Um, Definitely do recommend checking them out if you haven't already. And the draft kind of, it kind of scratches that itch for you. John, let's go over some of the different picks that we had, at least with the drafts, how they turned out. Um, uh, Starting with the first round, the one thing that I found interesting when I ran my simulation was that Josh Rosen was there on the board at 15 for the Arizona Cardinals in this situation, which I was a little surprised by. I don't think he's there, but I do think there will be a quarterback quarterback there for uh for the cardinals in round one yeah i i ran multiple simulations i was not fortunate enough to get rosen at pick 15 uh the majority of my simulations ended up with josh allen uh lamar jackson once or twice but allen was the majority uh was the 
quarterback that came up the majority of the time for me. That's the quarterback I ended up going with. Uh, and we've heard their love affair within the media. Mike Jarecki has been reporting that the team is a huge fan of Josh Allen. I don't know if that's smoke or not, but I do think if he's there at 15, he's going to be the pick. So that is who I ended up going with pretty consistently in my mock draft. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's go ahead and move on to round two. So round two, when I ran the simulation, a couple of interesting players were off the board before my pick. Um, I saw Christian Kirk went off the board before my pick, as well as Karrion Johnson uh, to the New England Patriots. He's a guy who I think is the, a potential late stud runner. The Cardinals actually, from what we do know, at least this is kind of some source that we had from um, John Gambadoro. He's actually a guy that they are in on. They've been on four running backs this year. Uh, what's interesting to me is that they were all basically second and third round players. Um, so you had Sony Michelle, you had Nick Chubb was a guy that who was the, that they were in on. Um, you also had looked at the fact that um, with Carryon Johnson, he's a guy who. Some people even have him as a first-round talent. And then Mark Walton out of Miami, a guy who got injured, had a slower 40 score, uh, 40 speed, I should say. But he's a very talented guy, at least for um, kind of if you think about a um, right now, if he keeps that speed, he'd be kind of like a rich man's um, Stefan Taylor, if you can think of that as far as for being a multi-down back. But he's actually averaged seven yards per carry in college. So unlike uh, Stefan two-yard Taylor, I, I think that he's going to be a much better player potentially. Uh, but uh, even though those guys are gone, the guy who was still on my board was Isaiah Oliver. And so I snapped him up in a flash. He's a physical press man corner. We actually even know from the Cardinals uh, flight plan series that Steve, that we believe Steve Wilkes was actually watching film on him. He was watching the Colorado defense against the Washington offense. He's not a guy I think they'll take at 15, but I could see him stepping in and contributing right away as a rookie across from Patrick Peterson. So round two, I went with Isaiah Oliver, uh, cornerback out of Colorado. Yeah, Oliver was one that I keyed on multiple times when available. Uh, but really, the the one player that stood out to me that would be my favorite pick if they're able to, to, to nab him, I just mentioned him as BPA uh, after round one, James Daniels, the center from the University of Iowa. That's a position that has plagued this franchise with journeymen for, for many, many years. Uh, this is an individual, all Big Ten, monster of a man, has the ability to be exceptional in both the pass and the run game. And I think it's just the perfect idea of pairing your young franchise quarterback, whomever it may be, with a rookie center. I think that that, that to me is the ultimate. I think that the Cardinals would be best served to do that at some point in this draft. doesn't necessarily have to be uh, with their first and second overall pick. But Daniels, to me, is has a higher ceiling than Billy Price. Billy Price was much more consistent at Ohio State. It's also coming off a pretty serious injury. So Daniels, I think, is the name I've heard more as a first-round prospect over the last couple of weeks. And I think the Cardinals, if he were to fall to pick 47, would be ecstatic and they should run to the podium because pairing him with like a Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or Josh Rosen, that's that's as close to a home run of a first, you know, first day and a half as you can get if you're a Cardinal fan, in my opinion. Oh yeah, no, like no kidding. Sign me up for that. Uh, Dane Brugler, who's a guy who I respect tremendously. He is Daniels ranked as a 17 overall player. Uh, this is a guy who I think then that would overall, of course, a lot of boards I think will be a mid to high first round player. Uh, this is a player who, if he falls, would be I'd be all over the Cardinals grabbing a center because AQ Shipley for right now he's been solid, but he just you need to kind of improve it. Getting a guy while you have AQ who can sit. Evan Bames seems to not have just made that next step forward. Seems to be still undersized. Yeah, that's he's been disappointing for sure, Blake. Oh yeah. 
No, definitely. Uh, moving on, at least the Cardinals have two picks in round three. Uh, I could see that if they do decide to, let's say that they do decide to move up for a Josh Rosen. Um, Josh Allen's the guy I think they'd be more likely to move up for if it's going to be a lot. He's not going to be there for the Cardinals. They're going to be uh, in a position in round three where they'll have a couple of different options, but the biggest need that the team still has as far as for a player who can fit that need is that the wide receiver position. Um, I with one pick later afterwards, I saw Mark Andrews go. He's a tight end that we know that they need a tight end. It hurt me to pass on the local product, but when a impact playmaker like Anthony Miller is on the board, who I think is a potential to be kind of not a, a top five, number one wide receiver, but maybe like a guy who's one of the better wide receivers in the NFL, very, very talented, skilled players, got the size. He's got great hands, makes plays. I went with him in round for the first of my round three picks as much as it pained me to pass in Mark Andrews, who I personally am a big fan of. I like that pick a lot. I think this is the sweet spot for Arizona in the third round to look at a receiver. Uh, I double dipped on the offensive line uh, because I thought that this group with a quarterback in the first and then offensive line, the second, and then again, the third, all three of those individuals have a chance to play in year one. And so my third round pick, pick uh, 15 of the third round, I went with Orlando Brown, the former first round prospect that has elite tape that completely tanked the combine, but then came back at his pro day and did a complete 180. And in my opinion, if you're able to steal this young man in the third round, he's available. You're able to flip the switch. And it's not like a Kemdichi where you're using a first round pick on somebody like this. You know, I remember that, you know, a couple of years ago, I think it was the Buffalo Bills. There was a tackle from Florida State. Can't remember his name. Oh, I think it was, um, was it or not uh, Hendrickson? I think I know exactly. Yes, Centrell Henderson. Yep, that's him. They t- they took two tackles that year. They took this uh, Quanjo out of Alabama in the second, who was god-awful. Centrell had off-the-field concerns, but had elite tape for Florida State. He went in the seventh round, ended up playing over Quanjo as a rookie, and gave them like three or four solid seasons in Buffalo. I think you could have that plus some with Orlando Brown from the University of Oklahoma. Again, I don't know why he didn't take the combine seriously. I'm not all that worried about it. I think hopefully the people that are got in his ear corrected it as pro day. And I think he's going to be a good player. And I think that was overblown and he's not my franchise quarterback. He's my, le- he's my left or right tackle. And right now the Cardinals don't have uh, great production out of either one of those positions. So that's, that's a high ceiling pick where you're thinking about, I'm going to get somebody who could have a top 15 grade based on tape in the third round. That's worth it every day of the week to me. So I went with Orlando Brown there, pick uh pick 15 in the third round. Yeah, no, Brown is interesting because I think he's a guy who in round three, that's where you do start looking at him. I actually even looked at a guy like Colton Miller out of UCLA, elite physical traits, elite athlete at the position. Uh, maybe at the best case scenario, you would take a look at him as being like the um, uh, kind of a stash develop guy that you'd have for him. Uh, maybe you end up kind of getting lucky and you end up hitting on like the New Orleans Saints did a few years ago with their left tackle in Toronto Armstead. They drafted super athletic guy. A lot of people didn't know where it was. That was why I looked at Colton Miller. The problem is that Miller did not do well in college. He did nothing really to protect Josh Rosen's blind side. Rosen took a ton of sacks. Brown kept Baker Mayfield clean, so I would totally be on board with that. 
one kind of a little interesting and ironic kind of twist of fate is that Brown is a guy who weighs, I think, some 300 to 350 pounds or something like that. Very huge, just a big, big man. Still has very light feet when you watch him on film. And what's ironic is that one of the Cardinals' day three picks this year was announced today, will be announced by a local high school coach by the name of Deuce Latui. So having Deuce Latui, who is known for his huge size, announcing the drafting of a big guy like Orlando Brown would just be kind of like the ultimate stroke of fate there, I think, uh, if that happened. Uh, yeah, no, let's go. We, the Cardinals have two picks in the third round. Um, if they do use a third pick to move up for a quarterback, even if it's just a few spots, if they have their guy there, um, I do think that they, uh, are really in a good spot to, uh, take a, one of the best players available guys were off my board. Shaquem Griffin was already off my board. He's a guy who I think maybe is a better fit under the bulls, um, uh, kind of the bulls type of defense that was being run last year where it had a lot of flexibility, a lot of kind of these hybrid linebackers. I don't know if he's going to be a three-down player. I think he showed that he could be a three-down player in college. He was off the board. One of my favorite wide receivers in the draft, Dante Pettis. I thought about double-dipping. He was off the board. So I went with a pass rusher named Kamoko Toure. And Toure is a super talented edge player coming out of Rutgers. Um, he's a guy who is actually a top 55 player, I actually think, under with um, Brugler. Uh, he's a guy that I've looked at a lot of them. I don't think he's going to be a um, a stud as far as like from maybe getting, you know, 10 to 12 sacks a year guy. We were talking about that impact that Marcus Golden had as far as for being a very strong technical pass rusher using great hands while also having plus athleticism that Golden doesn't. I think you draft Toure, you let Marcus Golden walk after a year, and then you plug him in next as the long-term guy next to Chandler Jones. Yeah, I think that's smart. I think that's that's – something I could absolutely see them doing based on, you know, cap repercussions. How often can you pay, you know, two elite pass rushers on your roster? I went the same route. I took an edge rusher, edge rusher, defensive tackle hybrid. Sam Hubbard was there from the university of Ohio state. When I picked late in the third round, six, five, two sixty five. uh, Joey Bosa's eventual replacement at the university of Ohio state. Somebody who I think time would love all academic, played under Ehrman and Meyer, didn't have the huge numbers in terms of sacks, uh, seven sacks, but he had 13 and a half tackles for loss, played in big games, uh, projects as a, as a 4-3 defensive end, which the Cardinals are converting to. He's got a tremendous motor. Uh, and then I, I think very much when I watched him, quick to spot a lot of play action, you know, is square with his pad level. Uh, does have a, a below average, you know, bend to speed power, speed to, to bend power. But again, somebody who I think could come in after, you know, a year or two on special teams could be a really nice quality starter for you opposite Chandler Jones. And this defensive line to me, Blake, I think is up for grabs now with this new regime outside of Chandler Jones. I think you've got a new head coach with a defensive mantra in a four, three and specifically you know, guys like Corey Peters, these older guys are going to be on their way out soon. So it's time to see the next rise of some of our young defensive linemen, Olson Pierre, hopefully Robert Kim DJ. We'll see what happens with Marcus Golden. But, you know, Chandler Jones obviously is a tremendous player. But I think you could see in the middle to late rounds some quality uh, developmental players. And I think Hubbard would be a great pick in the third round for the Cardinals. No, I, I totally am on board with that. Uh, Hubbard is a guy who, when you look at the Ohio State pass rushers, there's just so much consistency that you find there. Uh, I think that he'd be a fantastic um, uh, pick, especially if you get that value late for him uh, in that round. 
Uh, let's go ahead. We are now done with the third round. We're heading on to the fourth. Um, I was looking kind of heavy at running back here. Royce Freeman's a guy who's been one of my personal favorites as far as just being kind of like a thunder to if you're looking at David Johnson and um, uh, seeing the TJ Logan as kind of the lightning. Uh, he was off the board just before my pick. Uh, the guy I went with instead was at a very big position of need was Troy Fumagalli. Uh, he's a guy who is a tight end that is kind of being a little bit underrated. Uh, he's a guy who part of it is because he doesn't really have one complete area where he really wins at, but he's a very consistent blocker. He's a consistent kind of almost sneaky pass catcher. Um, he's a little bit also smaller than the Arians type. He's 6'5", 250 pounds, still very good. He's a very willing blocker. I think that he's a guy that the Cardinals could look at just because they need bodies in the tight end room. And the fact that he can also pass catch and block, I think if you have improved blocking from um, your kind of current, maybe starting tight end and pass catcher and Ricky Seals Jones, get that other blocker on the other side and Fumagalli. I think that you're going to have a uh, kind of solid young tight end core moving forward. I like it. I think that the Cardinals are going to put more of an emphasis on play action with this, with this coaching staff. And I think you need double tights for play action. And I think that, you know, as much as we can get excited about Ricky Seals Jones, that was a player that was utilized under an old coaching staff and he's going to need to, you know, make a, you know, a, a spot available for himself to be featured in this offense. And uh, I think there's absolutely room to grow in that position group. Needless to say, yeah. And um, the one thing I'll say about him is he played for Wisconsin. So if you know anything about Wisconsin and running the football, yeah. that obviously is a very good uh, precedence. That was part of the reason I liked him more than some of the other pass catchers left. Yep, absolutely. I am going to go fourth round. I looked at the receivers, uh, specifically uh, big body wide receivers, and there was one that stuck out that was a no-brainer. Marshall Aitman was available in the fourth round. I think he's somebody who could go late day two he's 6'4 220 out of the university of oklahoma uh, oklahoma state excuse me uh missed i think majority of 2016 with a foot injury came back last year and was kind of the um you know unheralded leader of that receiving core almost 1200 yards eight touchdowns um is somebody who i think compares uh favorably to maybe a brandon marshall very good size plays with naturally with his hands um, and I think that is somebody who could come in, not be the heir apparent to Larry Fitzgerald, but can play kind of that opposite role in the slot. If you are thinking that, you know, you're going to use smaller receivers on the outside, but we've seen with Mike McCoy, he likes bigger, thicker, wide receivers. This is somebody who is able to, uh, use his big body in the red zone. And I think could be a nice developmental player for the Cardinals. And listen, he has the college production. It's not like you're drafting a complete project, but you know, I think, the biggest thing with him is his ball skills are just so natural that if you've got, let's say Josh Allen, you're a little bit inaccurate. You're working in a Lamar Jackson, maybe doesn't have the best accuracy. This is somebody who's going to, you know, suck up a lot of passes. So you're able to utilize his ability to catch the football, which is exceptional. So Aiden to me was a no brainer in the fourth round. Yeah. Productive uh, Oklahoma state receiver. Can't really go wrong with that. All right. uh, Let's go on to the uh, next round. Then since the Cardinals, the fourth round pick that they got was from the, um, uh, from the Chicago bears. If I don't remember, if I remember correctly, no, excuse me. This is a compensatory pick. I believe that they got for Tony Jefferson. They traded away pick. So moving on to the fifth round, which is actually their own pick. Uh, there was a couple players on the board. There was a center that I liked a lot in Mason Cole. 
But I decided that this year I wanted to double dip at the wide receiver position. Uh, if this is Larry Fitzgerald's last year, the Cardinals can't go in next year. So I picked up a player who I thought was uh, just a stud in college. Um, and he's a big-bodied guy. He'll fit Mike McCoy's offense. And that's going to be Alan Lazard. And if you were and watched the Iowa State game uh, this year or watched him play, you know that he's a tremendous talent at six foot five. Um, he's a guy who's super successful, not just in the red zone, but on the other routes as well. I would love if they could get lasered on day three. And if you pair him with another receiver, maybe if it's an outsider speedy guy or even just a big guy like Anthony Miller, I think that then you're going to be kind of set at the wide receiver position going forward. And maybe you don't even have to take a look at a number one wide receiver early in the 2019 draft. Yeah, I like the idea of using multiple picks specifically on day three on receivers. I think that's a position that hits more on day three than most people want to admit. And I think that, again, taking a receiver in the first round, unless you're you know, completely stacked like we did earlier with Philadelphia, I just don't think it makes a lot of sense. And I hope the Cardinals go your route, Blake. But the player that, that stood out to me that was available um, in the fourth round uh, that I, I just, or excuse me, in the fifth round that I just couldn't pass up uh, was was Bo Scarborough from the University of Alabama, running back, uh, former uh, All-American, coming out of high school, 6'1", 232, projects as a fourth or fifth round pick, um, is incredibly powerful. His comp is Derrick Henry, obviously wasn't as productive, had injury concerns, would be, I think, the ideal backup for David Johnson, specifically when you're looking for uh, carries, um, you know, in the, on the goal line, uh, in short yardage situations, is he a quality pass catcher? No, he's not. But if you're looking for an in-between tackle or runner, that's going to help you close games out in the fourth quarter. If you've been leaning on David Johnson, the entire game, you're going to need somebody who is a quality ball carrier in the fourth, in the fourth quarter to seal games for you. And you've got TJ Logan and some of these other guys. I think that they're going to bring in some of these other quality backs that can catch the football. They'll find another Kerwin Williams. They'll find somebody, undrafted that, that that can come in and have you know soft hands in the passing game and use them as a wide receiver but there are only so many guys capable of running the football like a like a Bo Scarborough I think he would be an exceptional addition just the talent that would be oozing out of the running back group you probably probably be the most talented position on your team assuming TJ Logan can come back and contribute so he he was just a name that stood out to me just I couldn't afford to pass up Yes, he didn't have the big numbers that a lot of people expected. He was touted as the next great Alabama running back, but I think we could do a lot worse than him backing up David Johnson in the desert. Yeah, no, Bo Scarborough, like when you think of physical freak that David Johnson is, Scarborough's in the same method of freak, but in a different way. This is a guy who's 6'1, 230 pounds, and ran a 4'5, 40 at the combine with a 40 inch vertical jump. So when you're thinking about just explosiveness, now he doesn't show that as much as far as for in the long strides. He's not as much like a quick burst and he's gone type of player at that size like David Johnson is or like Saquon Barkley. But he's a guy who's just going to bring the thunder. Uh, you give him maybe, you know, about 10, 15 or so carries a game, you will wear down on a defense. And he does have that breakaway speed as well at his size. So uh, I think the biggest concern with him is the injuries that they have going back even to high school. He's had lower body injuries, but he hasn't had a whole lot of work that's been put in on him just because he never was one of those type of Trent Richardson or um, type of backs coming out of college where he just got all the carries at Alabama, like a Derrick Henry did as well. 
All right, so that will be wrapping it up here for the fifth round. Um, gosh, we've had a lot of uh, these are some really great picks that we're having here. Um, it's kind of exciting because you know we, most of these picks we may get wrong, but a couple of them we may get right. And it's, it's going to be great to see what the Cardinals do. Moving on into the sixth round, um, what I saw at least that was really interesting was I had three players that I really really liked that were still on, or actually four that we really liked on the board. There was a double dipping at the uh, as a defensive line, or I think I should say adding to the defensive line with a. Uh, Justin Jones, who's a guy that I really appreciate and like. There is also a speed guy in Kiki Katui uh, out of Texas Tech, I believe is one of Patrick Mahomes' favorite guys, a 4-3 guy. I think they already have that in J.J. Nelson, and I don't think they're going to be looking to bring that guy again in Mike McCoy's system. Kalen Balazs was on the board, but I did not feel like he was a guy I felt to take, even though you could, on the upside, you could get a David Johnson clone. The downside, if he avoids contact, continues like he did in college and just gets constantly outplayed by the other starter on his team who is not an athletic guy into Mario Richard, then I just don't think I want to take that risk on him despite the athletic profile. So I'm with Dimitri Flowers out of Oklahoma, and that would be my fullback. Flowers is a guy who made multiple plays in the past catching game and was a tremendous blocker um, in a more kind of open spread type of offense. But I think that he's a guy who could go run up the middle and also be able to get used in the passing game. Just a mismatch player for linebackers out of the fullback position. Cardinals would be kicking it old school, getting, I think, some great value here and fixing their fullback hole that's on the roster. But right now they're kind of having to sub with um, a couple of different running backs. I do think that you could end up seeing the Cardinals draft a fullback potentially if the right guy's there on the late rounds of day three. I like that pick a lot. I think day three is the perfect time to add a fullback. Um, But I think it's somebody like Flowers who could also contribute in the passing game. I think that whomever they take, if they draft one, is going to have to bring other, you know, facets to the game. Uh, And I could see him, you know, excelling on special teams as well. So I like that pick. I went with a homer pick. Uh, I live in uh, central Illinois. I went to Illinois State. There's a young man named Devontae Harris who projects as a fourth, fifth, or sixth-round prospect that played cornerback for my Illinois State Redbirds, was all Missouri Valley, was all American in the Missouri Valley, uh, six foot 200, ran a 4-4-3 at the Combine. I watched him play, plays press man exceptionally well. This was a team over the last couple of years that was a quality defensive team, Brock Speck, who is the uh, – Head coach of the ISU Redbirds uh, is a Purdue um, savant, was uh, on those great Purdue staffs of the 90s. And so he is the head coach of the Redbirds. And the um, ISU Redbirds actually made it to the finals of what used to be 1AA uh, two years ago and lost to Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz last game. And I believe Harris was um, a starter even as a sophomore on that team. So he's a three-year starter. Uh, again, it's the sixth round. You're going to go probably with BPA at this point. But yes, he was a three-year starter here uh, and has has the ability. He could transition to safety at some point, but he's tremendous against the run. He's got good thickness. Uh, his hips are a little tight. But again, somebody I think that, you know, receiver and corner, those are two positions I love rolling the dice on on day three because there are so many guys that get overlooked and there are so many players that play those positions. Um so many teams utilize so many corners and so many receivers that it just, it makes sense to roll the dice on those in day three. Whereas, you know, there's only so many quality edge rushers. There's only obviously so many quarterbacks. So uh, Harris to me is somebody that I would love just to see drafted period. But if you go to my Cardinals, that's even better. 
Gosh, yeah, no, I think you kind of nailed the player there, and especially with I do think that safety is going to be in his future when you look at his size, you look at the four three four four three speed, and then you also look at just the way that uh, when I went and looked at the highlights of him, he just plays the run in a very physical sense. Like this is a guy who. Uh, he could probably cover for that one, but when we talk about fluid hips, that can be like a or tight hips. That's kind of a scouting term. Just think of it. If you got a receiver running at you toward the right, and then all of a sudden he cuts back to the left as part of the route, you want to be able to have a corner who can turn their body around in a quick way. So that way they can keep up with the player. Um, the best example that I looked to in years past would be um, in 2015. This is what Tyron Matthew did so well. He had hips that would just flip and turn instantly to stay with players. Dale Buchanan's another guy, who actually had pretty fluid hips. I know coming out of college where you could see with as far as just, that's what leads kind of to elite coverage abilities, because even if a receiver tries to get you off, uh, off of balance or try to trick you, if you can recover quickly, that's a very, very quick tool. So if he's not able to recover as quick as maybe some others might being able to use that hard hitting and replace the, um, safety position for the Cardinals would be, um, that would be kind of great. At, at worst, he's going to be a, I think, solid special teams player. I think will stick on a roster. Um, what's interesting as far as just with the safety position to bring it up real quick is the Cardinals still don't really seem to have a true free safety just yet. Uh, as far as with the, the last year, they had a um, getting an all pro type year, at least out of their um, previous safety, uh, which, oh gosh, and before he went down with an ACL, um, it's, the name is escaping me again. At least this is kind of what happens. You spend so much time on prospects. You forget your own team's name. Um, but they right now don't have a position at the, um, at, uh, player who's on the safety, uh, excuse me, safety, who's on the team who really can kind of play that center fielder on that third down when boot is going to be shifting, uh, to being a cornerback. Uh, so right now, if you take a look at, uh, him, I think that you could also take a look at perhaps Trey Boston or some of the other free agents who are around there as well. So safety is a need for the Cardinals. We just don't know what round it's going to be. And I think I'd prefer to sign a veteran and then um, be able to get later, uh, get kind of that type of player in the draft on day three versus taking one too high. Yeah, I agreed. I think that safety to me is a luxury pick for the Cardinals at this point. Um, you've seen them try to add quality veterans over the past couple of years in an effort to push them over the hump. But with Buda Baker trading up last year, giving up multiple picks to get him, I can't see them surrendering picks, quality picks this year to get a top flight safety, especially when you consider that the class outside of Derwin James and Mika Fitzpatrick is just pretty so-so. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was Tyvon Branch. That was the name I was searching for. Torres ACL last year out for the season. Uh, older players having an awesome year, and it was just sad to see him go down. Um, but Cardinals are in another spot uh, where they need to get a uh, – just kind of get a depth player. But maybe it'll be a new scheme. We'll see how Wilkes does it. So the final pick that I had in this draft, and this is interesting because one of the guys who's one of my actual draft sleepers um, was available with this pick. Uh, which was uh, really exciting for me to be able to see because I've been taking Chase Edmonds out of Fordham. He's a smaller running back. Think of him kind of like if you would look at a maybe a uh, maybe almost like a pass catching Andre Ellington, uh, another small stool guy uh, who I think is going to be able to have an impact on the third down. You'll be able to put him on the field um, where he'll be able to catch. Uh, um, Chase Edmonds is a guy who. I think he's going to be a, a guy that Steve kind of really going to like. He has a, a whole lot of pass catching experience. If you end up missing David Johnson for any point of time, I think that he's going to be a player who will just make a step onto the field year one. He'll also probably be able to help out on special teams. Um, he's a guy the Cardinals have actually visited as well. So 
I don't think that it's a guy you can say book it to the Cardinals, but I think that if they don't take a running back high, and maybe they will if Steve Wilkes runs the football, but I think they'll prefer to wait, take some more talented players, and pick him up on day three, potentially in this last round. Yeah, but I think running back at any point late day three makes sense. Uh, I went on the defensive line again, and I went with BPA. I went with John Atkins from the University of Georgia, senior. Uh, Very sloppy. Uh, in terms of how he's built physically, but maybe somebody who could project as, you know, best case scenario, another Corey Peters, somebody like that, uh, again, was a multi-year starter in the SEC, huge player, um, but good football character and work ethic, plays with a feel for pressure, uh, decent arm movement, but he's stiff in the ankles. Um, He's never had a sack in college. Uh, So, does he offer any kind of pass rush value? Well, I just compared him to Corey Peters, who's been a quality uh, interior rush defender. So probably not. But again, these are the kind of players that I want to see the Cardinals take a chance on late that have potential that can pop rather than to use those players, you know, early in the draft. Um, To me, it just, it makes sense to roll the dice on, you know, big time SEC players that for whatever reason didn't take off at the college level and see if you can get them into your your culture, your weight room, your program, your off-season diet, your conditioning program, if they can pop and turn the corner. Uh, so Atkins was my pick, rounding out my draft. I took two defensive linemen, two offensive linemen. It was really kind of a meat and potatoes draft, uh, a wide receiver, a running back, and a quarterback. So offensive heavy, but you know when you look at the, the Cardinals offensively right now, you know how can you blame me? Definitely. Yeah. And then for my side, I took a two wide receivers, uh, a cornerback, a tight end, a pass rusher, a fullback, a running back and a quarterback. So I, outside of the wide receiver, really just spread everything out very offensive heavy outside of adding in the one pass rusher and Kamoko Ture. John, before we kind of wrap up this section, move on to talking just about these quarterbacks one more time before the draft day. Are there any other players that you're a big fan of you'd love to see on the Cardinals who maybe we haven't mentioned or didn't have a spot to draft? Because I know that there's like it's like three or four that I at least think would be great mentioning just because of partially I think the Cardinals may actually end up with them, but also just because these are players who we want to watch for NFL success as well. I like a lot of the the kind of the second and third tier offensive tackles. I think that Brian O'Neill for the University of Pittsburgh is going to be a, pl- a good player. Tyrell Crosby tackled for University of Oregon. Jerron Christian, offensive tackle, Louisville. You mentioned Colton Miller. I think somebody's going to hit on one of these guys between round three and five or two and four, and they're going to get a franchise left tackle. So I would love it if that was Arizona. I think that, you know, DJ Humphreys to me is, is really kind of, you know, on, on thin ice this year, along with Robert and those individuals have to pan out, but you know, I had them, had them take an Orlando Brown. I, I think that that secondary offensive tackle market, if you will, after the elites go, in the first round, McGlinchey um, and Connor Connors. I think that, you know, some of these guys later on, you saw in New Orleans, what they did late in the first last year and got their franchise right tackle. Um, and so I, I think Arizona could be in the same kind of position. Um, the, the tight end market, it, it, it doesn't wow me, but again, I like Hayden Hurst from South Carolina. I think he's got a chance to be a really good player. Um, Jesse Bates, the third, uh, safety from Wake Forest is a guy who I had a chance to watch a lot. I think he's, he's going to be a good player. Um, you know, 
I, I almost did this, Blake, in my mock um, because of how starved I am for the position. Luke Falk was available with the second, third round pick that I had, and I almost took him after taking mm. Josh Allen in the first. If they did something like that, I, I honestly, it would not be the worst thing in the world to me. I would not hate it just because, you know, at the end of the day, you're doubling your chances for success. If both the guys pan out or if Luke Falk plays really well and Josh Allen's a franchise quarterback, you know, you could flip one of them. You could have two as, you know, we saw what New England did. They had three capable quarterbacks on the roster two years ago. I, I think that's something to watch out for because, you know, Sam Bradford's on borrowed time. Mike Lennon signed a two-year deal, which could be essentially turned into a one-year deal. He's making next to no money. If they like two quarterbacks, do not put it past Kime, especially if Kime doesn't have to give up compensation in the first to get his first quarterback. Yeah, I think that what's also interesting is I believe the NFL practice squad rules now work where you can have one player who's isolated, who can be on the practice squad without having to worry about another team snatching them. Uh, you can just designate them straight to the practice squad, don't have to even um, even worry about releasing them, which I think is great. So if the Cardinals do end up in a spot where they've got four quarterbacks and they want to keep on, they drafted two of them young, um, you could at least have a guy who you could develop on the bench for that. I wouldn't mind that at all. I, I prefer to draft more quarterbacks rather than less. Uh, it's hard to see them doing it, but uh, anyway, I, I was at least a Luke Falk fan. If he had come out last year, I think it would have been potentially like a guy I could have seen the Cardinals taking even as high as the second round. Uh, for me, I've already talked about how I feel like Mark Andrews and Dante Pettis, I think, are both great route runners who will make an uh, impact in offense. James Washington's a guy I haven't mentioned. He's a guy who I think is almost perfect on day two for the Cardinals. You got to see a lot of times when if Mason Rudolph had underthrows, he would bail him out. And he had a lot of times you just see him separating, running down the field, even though he is a, a little bit of a, almost like a running back's body, just a super productive wide receiver. I'm a little shocked that he's not being mentioned in round one, but that is kind of the tax you'll pay for these elite athletes. Speaking of elite athletes, Equinemius St. Brown. This is a guy who I think would compare um, very much to um, kind of some of these long, big, tall um, Steelers wide receivers that you see them draft each year. Uh, the one guy in particular that I would at least think of would be, um, well, they took him out of Clemson a few years ago, and Martavis Bryant. Uh, he's about the same size, the same height, didn't have the biggest production in college. Some of that was because as soon as Deshaun Kaiser left, uh, the Kaiser's arm favored a guy like Will Fuller. The production just plummeted because of the quarterback situation. Um, he's a guy who I think has the potential to be a number one wide receiver in the NFL because he's effective on every route in the field. He's a big guy at 6'4". He's a player who I think the Cardinals, if they can get him on day two, uh, I think he may have more upside. But so far, I think he's a guy who either is going to be gone before they pick or you've got a bigger need happening. And uh, two other players that I think – fans should watch out for the first one of them is tony brown this is a alabama cornerback uh he started for multiple years and ran a four three four a four three forty and we all know that steve kind loves speed with his corners uh, tony brown's also i believe a six foot corner so he does at least pass that threshold of corners that they like uh, i think he's a guy who if he's there on day three you might see him added to the cardinals just because of that speed and last but not least is Nathan Shepard, a defensive lineman. This is kind of a guy who I could see the Cardinals viewing as Rodney Gunter 2.0. He's a guy who was out of football for a few years, came back and was at a small school. And he ended up having this tremendous turnaround where he's put himself into, I think even some of his, as high as top 50 conversation for some. 6'5", 315, and he's not even maxed out his strength frame yet. This is a guy who showed up very well at the Senior Bowl. Um, and the biggest thing with him is he's just very, very raw. 
Um, he's a guy who's like strength. It's almost kind of like you can see with uh, Gunter, but also a little bit of Kimbichi in as far as he still needs some time to develop. Um, but he's a complete blue collar work ethic guy. If you're going to use that whole colloquialism, is a whole colloquialism. Um, he's a lot more as, as far as for the athleticism that he has for size. Um, he's great. And as a small school guy, I could see Steve Kime falling in love with him and with his, with his frame. All right. So let's move on to our final portion of the night. The portion that everyone's been waiting for. Let's talk about the quarterbacks because there's a lot to talk about. We are only about a week out from the draft. There's quarterbacks who are going to be gone quarterbacks who could be there. John, what would you kind of sum up with where we are right now, as far as what you're leaning for with the Cardinals and then the quarterbacks that are in this draft? Yeah, it changes every day, honestly. And you don't know what to believe based on what the media is reporting based on the misinformation that we've had in years prior uh, we know Arians used to love to lie, uh, and we know that Kime was incredibly blunt and forward this morning with his comments. At the end of the day, I think Donald's going to go first overall, and I think that Baker Mayfield's going to go third overall. I think if you would have asked me two or three weeks ago, I think Josh Rosen was set for pick number two, and I don't think that's you know out of the realm of the possibility, but Blake, you and I both take into account a lot of what Benjamin Albright, great Twitter, Twitter follow, has to say. And he was on the Rosen to the Giant bandwagon for the longest time and has since jumped ship and is now convinced that they're either going to trade down, take Barkley, or take Chubb. So if that's the case, and he said that he's, he does say that they prefer the New York Jets do prefer Baker Mayfield. Now you're getting to a point where Josh Rosen has a chance to be available with the fourth overall pick. That to me, if you're the Arizona Cardinals, you have to consider getting up to pick number four. Josh Rosen is a blue chip prospect in every sense. He's got an incredibly high ceiling as a pocket passer. He's my second overall quarterback. I don't know why the Jets wouldn't consider him at pick two other than their fascination with Baker Mayfield and his accuracy, which is tremendous. But uh, Rosen to me is a, a complete dream scenario. That's BPA. That's, that's if that's hitting a home run grand slam on draft night. If they can't make it happen, I think that they're going to, probably consider trading up for Josh Allen based on what we're hearing and how much they prefer Josh Allen. Again, Mike Jarecki has been on this for months that they prefer Josh Allen. They love his intangibles. They think he's going to project better to the next level. I don't know after, after watching Logan Thomas fail, how you could, and then Kime being in the building with, with the likes of John Skelton, Derek Anderson, how you could look at Josh Allen and think he's going to be different. He may be a better student of the game. He may be better on the field or off the field and may be a better teammate than a lot of those guys were. But if a guy can't complete a certain percentage of his throws in college and is it an exceptional game changer in the running game like Lamar Jackson is, I just don't know how that's going to translate to the next level and be successful. So, I think that Rosen is probably maybe a 15% chance. I think Allen is a, let's say, 30% chance. And then Mason Rudolph and Lamar Jackson, I think, are the two most likely to be Arizona Cardinals, just based on my gut feeling today with my favorite going into that weekend being Lamar Jackson in maybe a small trade-up over the likes of Buffalo and Miami to get to, say, let's, you know, pick number 10 to Oakland, you have to give up a second or a third or a second to third if the, if the price goes up. I think that Lamar Jackson, to me, makes the most sense for a team that plans on starting Sam Bradford. 
as long as he's healthy. I think that the culture in Arizona is the kind of culture that would embrace Lamar Jackson. He would have an opportunity to combine with David Johnson and be probably the most dangerous set of runners in the NFL quarterback and running back combined. I think that playing in a dome, playing in the NFC West would be tremendous for somebody like Lamar. Um, and I hope that they give him an opportunity to sit and learn and uh, have the ability to work with Larry Fitzgerald. If, if I had to pick a player tonight um, and it's now midnight in my time, so it's, it's one week away, <laughs> I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson as the pick to the, who I think the Cardinals are going to end up drafting. Yeah, no, I can see you there. And I th- just to get into a little bit of, I guess, some knowledge dropping, um, there's a lot of fans who are looking at Lamar Jackson and wondering if he's a tier below some of these other guys. And so I, I like to have a more of an analytical approach. I'll have an article that, um, <laughs> well, uh, heaven willing, I'll be able to drop on Revenge of the Birds tomorrow with some of these uh, kind of advanced, some of the different stats. But when you're comparing these college quarterbacks, Lamar just stands out because he started like 99% of the games that he could play. He started It's a three-year starter. And the biggest thing I think that was interesting when I ran through numbers was I like to look at who are the players that um, not just when you look at that they played against as far as the toughest competition, but you also look at the team around him. And from what we've seen, the guys who have the best completion percentages when they adjust it, um, Lamar Jackson ends up completing like he had about 10% of his passes, maybe it drops. Now drops are subjective. Did the receiver do it wrong? Did he do it wrong? But there's enough at least impact that we can see that a lot of the questions about accuracy can be question about his teammates around him and some of the same could even be said for josh allen for some many have used that defense except uh he is only about half of the drops of lamar the other thing that's interesting is lamar where he protects the football more than a lot of the other quarterbacks outside of baker mayfield uh the one thing that's most interesting is that when i ran the statistics against the teams that um the, the it's kind of like the cream of the crop the best teams that a quarterback plays against i've liked that as a metric because it always seems to show you just exactly how a quarterback does when he plays tough teams. What's interesting for me is I, Baker Mayfield kind of entered the draft and he still maybe kind of like was close enough to my quarterback one, just because statistically like he was just top of every category. It was interesting when we played the toughest teams that he faced in his career. So you're talking about like the TCUs you're talking about with um, the Georgia game. Um, you're talking about, uh, Ohio State twice. He ended up averaging kind of about you know sixty five percent of his passes. He passed for about three hundred yards a game. He had two touchdowns and a pick. For almost all the other games, he averaged about three touchdowns and no picks. So it was interesting that Baker, when he played tougher teams, he kind of struggled a little bit more. So that was one thing that was kind of a little bit interesting. We even saw the same stats with Darnold. We saw the same stats with Josh Allen, which Josh Allen, some have been really kind of thinking that he's a, a, a turnover machine as far as interceptions on the road. Not so much. A- Allen, I, I'm sorry, not Josh Allen, sorry, Josh Rosen. Rosen's a guy who I think is going to be probably closer to between an Eli Manning and a Jameis to a Matt Ryan. Um, I would have no problem if the Cardinals went to trade up for him. Uh, again, the biggest concern, as we know, is injuries. Uh, the biggest thing that was interesting was if they were averaging you know, about 300 or so passing yards a game, two touchdowns a game, an interception a game. Josh Allen was terrible against this top competition. He didn't throw for 250 yards for on average against these teams. He threw just as many interceptions as he threw touchdowns. This is a guy who, if the Cardinals, I understand Steve Kime wanting to kind of maybe move up and trade for him, but this would be kind of a move if the Cardinals pulled it off and he was there that I feel like would be a back-breaking move. So I totally agree with you on Josh Allen. The surprise to me came with Lamar Jackson because even though he threw for uh, less yards per game, 
He still threw for more yards on average than Josh Allen did against way better competition. And he ran for on average, at least anywhere from about 87 to 112 yards rushing a game. So this means that with you're looking at, you know, your Baker, your Darnold, you're looking at your um, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson outshone them all as far as for when he played those teams. He had 344 or so yards he put up a game. He put up three touchdowns, at least passing, and another one or two rushing, at least. This is a guy who, and then you'd only throw like one interception. So this is a guy who I think that Lamar is the guy who may become a superstar potentially. Now, if Baker ends up in the right scheme with the right fit with probably the Jets, perhaps he can do that. But I think Lamar is a guy who could be a secret superstar. And I have no idea why you're not looking at a guy who's that talented as a passer and a runner as a number one overall pick. Um, the one guy who I do think also could qualify is Mason Rudolph, but I think that he's a guy who maybe ends up as a Dalton type level starter where he's efficient. He'll get the job done. Maybe you could look at Alex Smith, although he's Mason Rudolph's less athletic, but I totally agree with you from just running through the numbers. Lamar Jackson is a guy who I'm pretty high on. The other caution I would have is with Kyle Aladdin. You and I have talked about this, John, his arm is an issue. Uh, it's just, it's, yeah, not it's, it's a, ra- it's a rag arm. It's a rag arm. The biggest thing that's interesting is on third down, if you look at his adjusted completion percentage, with it's a stat that Benjamin Solak ran, great quarterback evaluator on Twitter. You can go and follow him if you want. Uh, had a great work where he put out. He noticed that Kyle Laletta's stats on third down, he only completed about 25 or so percent of his passes on third down. On third down, what Laletta did was he would face the blitz and if he had pressure on him, he would run and try to run for the first down. Now he's a great athlete. He's got accuracy within the short term intermediate area. Uh, he's a guy who I think if you think of Jimmy Garoppolo without being able to complete passes 15 more yards down the line, I think that's him. So he's a guy who's a pure backup. And to me, that's the guy you take on day three. You don't take that guy in round two. You don't even, I don't take that guy on day two. Uh, for me, I think we're in agreement here with Lamar Jackson's the guy who I think that he's the guy the Cardinals may pick on draft day. Um, the other two who I would lean towards, I would lean towards taking a cornerback or potentially if a player falls such as a pass rusher or safety like maybe they like Landry or if Derwin James actually ends up happening to be there perhaps that's the pick Um, but I think that they would be looking at Lamar potentially even if they wanted to trade back Um, Steve Kimes comments to us kind of tying it all back together to the beginning I just felt like this is the year the Cardinals are going to go in and invest in a quarterback Um, I'm not sure where I'm not sure when but it seems like this is a year where if they do go out of the first two days of the draft and don't have a quarterback it won't be their fault I mean it could be considered their fault as far as trading up but it'll be more of the other teams around them investing um, heavily and then just not wanting to pay the price so Kime's got a decision uh, he's got a decision to make on Rosen he's got a decision to make on Lamar Jackson uh, it seems like he's committed to taking that step now he's just going to have to uh, to just live up to that promise because fans are kind of going to this draft expecting that they're going to be coming out with a playmaker and a young quarterback yeah I, the one thing Blake I, I want to say is I got paranoid especially after New England made their trade after the Jets traded up the closer we get, the better I feel that somebody is going to be available for them to draft at the quarterback position, or they're going to be in striking distance. There was a period of time between, I think, like late February to mid-March where it felt like the Cardinals were going to be shut out again. And now, especially when you hear that the Giants are going to pass, potentially the Broncos don't want to take one again high. Elway got burned by Paxton Lynch. He gave Case Keenum $17 million. Then you see a lot of these other teams in the top 10 open to trading down relationships with Indianapolis and Tampa. I I think that the Cardinals now are in a position where there's no excuse and that there are 
really legitimately five quarterback prospects that they could take. I'm not counting Mason Rudolph um, within, you know, the top 15, but they could trade back into the first and take him. One of those six is going to be the quarterback of the Cardinals. I would be absolutely shocked and in disbelief if we're sitting here two weeks from now and that wasn't the case, that they didn't come away with one of those guys. Um, because again, you can't sell your fan base. I keep going back to this. You can't sell your fan base, Kyle Aletta or Mike White or whomever, when you're going up against Russell Wilson and Jared Goff now has emerged and Jimmy Garoppolo. That's embarrassing. So you have to secure one of these top prospects and just hope it works out. And if it does, you have a 10-year career, 10, 15-year career. And if it doesn't, maybe you get one more crack at it. You know, Steve Kime has built up, I think, enough credibility, at least with Michael Bidwell, that I think he could miss on a first-round quarterback and survive it. I know a lot of fans don't agree with that, but it's just my opinion. But I think that the best news that we could get, number one, is that the the, the Browns are going to go cute and take Allen first overall, which would set you know <laughs> off a, a crazy chain of, of effect. But, but I th- I think that Darnold going first overall in the Giants passing basically ensures that the Cardinals are going to get one of these quarterbacks. Yeah, as long as they're under the aggressive, I think that's, that's the biggest key, at least. Rosen Frolls and Fouts and Arnold's Warren's been traded before. For it seems like Steve Lexi's time to see the game beginning now. Um, we'll have to see on that. Um, and I was speaking also, and also we talked about Albright. Albright has gone over on the ceiling, ceiling kind of organic that he has for the quarterbacks. He thinks that Rosen more was a cast a lot of the way. I tend to agree that part of where I went there was with me as the Dolphins, even away from that. I would go there. Jackson, 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 highest, highest the heel. I think that it would not surprise me if there's a late team that tries to trade out trade out the Cardinals to maybe pick 12, 13, or 14 if those are still there and tries to see if they can take Lamar Jackson if the Cardinals want him or even if Josh Rosen is falling to the Cardinals past 11. So I think that's going to be a team kind of to read the market and I'll have to kind of estimate what's going to be the right cost in order to give up. And he's got extra backs this year. He's got a fourth and a third round pick that he's got back up. That's terrific. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. And a lot of Cardinals fans I know will be waiting with bated breath come draft night. And uh, I think it's going to be a fun experience from here. Well, that'll about wrap it up first tonight on the Bird Game Blitz. Um, we're only just a week out from the draft. Um, we'll have uh, hopefully the article, at least we'll have some of these QB stats up in the morning. But you heard it from us. Jo- uh, Josh Rosen seems to be a guy that the Cardinals could look into, but Lamar Jackson's the guy that we would pick to take. Uh, let us know your thoughts. You can either tweet us at Bird Game Blitz or if you want to go ahead and subscribe to us on. On Apple Podcasts, we're also on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, let us know what you think. Or send us some of your mock drafts. We're curious. Um, John, where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, Blake, I am at Johnny's Football, all one word, no uh, letters or special characters. Give me a follow this week. We'll talk draft from now until the draft. You and I, I know, will be tweeting um, during the draft. I will not tweet. Uh, during the first round. Um, I will not follow Twitter during the first round, just a personal preference. I don't like when the picks are spoiled. Uh, I didn't, I don't like when they started announcing them early. And so it kind of ruins it when you're watching it live. Um, just like you, Blake, I like to get together and watch it with folks. So I do not participate, but day two and, and, um, and on, I, um, I'm all in. So yeah, let's, uh, let's talk draft from here until next week. 
Absolutely. And you can follow me at Blake Murphy seven. Um, I'm also going to have the kind of, I only do about, you know, one mock draft a year. I'll have that up on revenge of the birds next week. Those are my quarterback rankings. Um, for me, I'm going to finish up those rankings, but it's very possible. I may have Lamar Jackson as my number one quarterback, this class, just from looking at the stats. And that's not something I would have thought going into this process. And it's not like changing or shifting around because who's there. Uh, I, if I'd have had a personal preference, Baker is my favorite, but yeah, you can find dialogue with me there. Tell me why I'm wrong and why you think Lamar Jackson's terrible. I'd <laughs> uh, love to be able to have those chats with you. Uh, for now, we'll see you guys after the draft. We'll have plenty to talk about. At least we'll have a post-draft podcast to break that down. But in the meantime, from all of us here at the Bird Game Blitz, have a great night, folks. Good stuff, man. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Pros in the know start with Lowe's. Because at Lowe's, pros save on tools they rely on to get the job done. Now get up to 35% off select DeWalt power tools and accessories, including the DeWalt 10-tool 20-volt cordless combo kit, now $529. That's $320 off. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. DeWalt offer valid through 11-4. While supplies last, credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply U.S. only. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.